BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. Welcome into the program. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. It's another edition of the best of the bald face truth. We love doing these around the holiday season. Today is no different. We have a fantastic show for you. Now, it is a best of, but we've got some current audio for you as well. Later in the program, we are going to have Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning, their uh, press conferences, talking about uh, early signing day. It was a big one for both programs, especially Oregon. Had some big moves that made some waves nationally. Beavs did well themselves. And uh, we're going to give you their comments uh, later this hour, of course, in hour number two as well. Now, yesterday I did tease uh, Bill Walton. You would hear hear from him today. That has been moved. I'm going to be honest. We speculated. How are we going to break up Bill Walton when every conversation that we have with him goes for, oh, you know, 45, 46, 47 maybe minutes. Well, the answer is we're going to move it to Thursday, most likely. You'll definitely hear from Walton later in the week. But in the meantime, you will hear from Jaden Grant talking about uh, his team's win over Oregon earlier this year. We'll have Dan Lanning's father, Don Lanning. That conversation happened over the summer. Uh, you'll hear from Kanzano, his reaction to Kenny Dillingham being hired at ASU. I already mentioned Dan Lanning, Jonathan Smith comments from early signing day, but, uh, we do want to start off. Typically we, uh, we reviewed the last year, you know, it's kind of a year in review and it's not that officially because yesterday we played George Klyovkov and Michael Schill. That was from May of 2021 when Klyovkov was named PAC 12 commissioner, but with the unfortunate news of Franco Harris passing away at the age of 72 today. That news came out. Uh, We've gone ahead and mined the archives because, look, if there's one thing we know, there's so many great guests on this show, and we went, you know, I'm sure that Franco has joined this program, and he has several times. Uh, Franco Harris spoke with John Canzano this conversation from August 28th of 2015. It's a two-parter, fantastic talk in memory of Franco here. So let's go ahead and hear that now on the best of the bald face truth. Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, Franco Harris joining us. How are you, sir? John, hello. I'm doing well. Where are you today? I am in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, city of champions. A lot of people, and myself included, I visited Pittsburgh, and I looked around the downtown. It reminds me of Portland. You ever been to Portland, Oregon? Uh, yes, I have. Just a uh, couple times. Um, we need we need an NFL stadium and a Major League ballpark, though, on the river. Now, that would be great if you guys would have that. Yes, that would be fantastic. So, can you make it happen? We need you out here to do that. I think if you were banging the drum, people <laughs> might listen. We've got to get you out here for a visit again. Um, 1972, you come into the league, you're 22 years old, you know, you, know, you go about business, you rush for 1,000 yards. I mean, did you expect that it was just going to happen that way for you? Uh, John, it was beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, I couldn't have uh, dreamt something as wonderful as that season. And the way it went, how the team came together and... Uh, and um, 
and the season, how it just got better, better, and better. And uh, and then, as we know, this this was the start of a, of a decade of football that was going to be incredible. But 1972 was quite a year, and uh, it surprised a lot of people, including myself. I don't think anybody uh, saw the Pittsburgh Steelers coming uh, the way that we did in that decade, and and I think my individual performance surprised a lot of people, and I have to admit, including myself. Your father served in World War II. Your mother was from Italy. Did they buy into football? Did they see that as this is going to be a livelihood, or were they like a lot of parents who thought, you're going to do what? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, my mom coming from Italy never understood anything about football. <laughs> and, uh, and she never really went to a game. Um, well, we had nine kids in the yeah. family. And uh, so in... In in seventh grade, I had to sneak to play football, and um, and I finally had to bring my clothes home, right? Because yeah. the smell was just oh my <laughs> gosh, it was just horrendous. I said, okay, I take my clothes home. I took my clothes home, and was she pissed? She was saying, how could you do this? You know, because she was, she, you know, because it was, the whole thing was, you know, you're going to the brick of your bones, you know, because yeah. she had a, still had a heavy <laughs> accent. And yeah. uh, and, and uh, she didn't let my older brother Mario play, and, and that's why I sneaked to play. And, uh, and what's funny, so in high school, uh, my senior year, you know, I, I'm being recruited now, you know, and by all these schools, and, and the three youngest of the nine were were like boys. And uh, and so she's out there saying, go, 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 go. Go, go, out, go outside and kick it to football. Go, go. <laughs> you, know, you know, so by then, uh, uh, you know, you know, she became a fan. But, but she really, uh, she still really didn't understand it. Uh, you know, this is a cute story here. Where the uh, uh, December twenty third, nineteen seventy two. I'm not sure if that date rings a bell for you, uh, but uh, uh, that was the day of the Immaculate Reception. Yeah. And uh, so they're home in New Jersey, and, and my younger brothers are there, and uh, and um, and my father's there, and and they're watching the game. But my mom's not watching the game. Right, she's in the kitchen and going around. You, you know, she never sat down to watch it. She, um, you know, she just didn't watch it. And um, and then Kenny Stabler scored the touchdown to put the Raiders ahead, um, uh, seven to six. And and my mom says she knew something was wrong. She knew something was wrong. And so she went on and put on the, you know, on the record, Ave Maria. Yeah. And and my brothers and everybody swear at that time, the catch happened. So, so you know, uh, 
I kind of contribute some of that to my mom too. I I, I look back and my my grandfather had a similar experience. I mean, they were immigrants from Italy, and his dad he played sports. His dad would not come to see him play a game. He was you know a blue collar worker and. He, you know, he just, he wasn't into it. Um, and yet you go on to become one of the greatest players in football history. How did dad feel about it? Was dad, did dad get it? Oh, he was very proud. And uh, 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 he was a quiet man and uh, um, a military guy, you know, in, in uh, 24 or 22 years, you know, uh, in the in the Army. And, uh, and, and so a lot of it, uh, in high school for, you know, for my older brother, Mario and me, you know, because of military, he wasn't, you know, able to see as many games as, as he would have liked. Um, but, uh, no, he felt, uh, uh, very proud of, of what we accomplished and, uh, uh, you know, in his own own quiet way, you know, uh, he was very proud, and and like also, he was even more proud that uh, uh, that we're able to go to college. My older brother Mario uh, uh, went into uh, uh, went to college, you know, two years ahead of me, and. And then I went, and after me, my sister went, and and it just changed our whole family, and, and nothing that they were ever expecting that, uh, because back then, my father was just an enlisted man, and and we never even talked about college. I mean, we weren't going to college. I mean, you know, we didn't even hear, hear the word college. Uh, yeah. Our whole thing was we're going into the military, right? I mean, that's our whole focus, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, but then these football scholarships came and just changed the whole direction of our family and uh and uh and and it was just great to be able to see what football uh, gave me and, and enabled me to do Franco Harris is our guest pro football hall of famer you mentioned the immaculate reception and when you watch the replays of that you see, you know, your quarterback making a nice play to avoid a sack and try to get rid of the ball downfield. It was a ball that could have been intercepted, but wasn't. It pops out. You were trailing the play, and you never really stopped. Like, you always were trailing the play. Was that something that you just instinctively did, or, or you know, you're in the right place at the right time. How are you there? <laughs> I am there because of Joe Paterno. Uh of Joe Paterno yelling, Harris, go to the ball. <laughs> and, and and that's one of the things that he instilled at Penn State and always yelled, go to the ball, go to the ball. Now at Penn State, hey, you know, 18 to 22, are you listening? No, right? Yeah. And it's interesting when I got to the Steelers, first day of training camp, all those sayings popped into my head because – now I'm a pro, and it's like, okay, you know, you have to do these things, and and I uh, that every time the quarterback threw a pass, I ran to where the ball was caught, 
and it didn't matter if it was 20 yards down the field or 10 yards, I would run to that spot, run back uh, to the huddle, or just run back and wait my rotation. And uh, when they let me carry the football, this, now this is my first training camp, right? I'm just in training camp, know nothing. To, yeah. When I gave me the ball, I ran all the way to the goal line, even though it was like 40, 50 yards down there. I ran all the way that and ran all the way back. You know, just things that, you know, that they try to coach you in college, but you didn't see the real significance of it then. Or, well, you know, I mean, that's significant, yeah. what I'm saying. And and uh, and and so it was like that. And even my rookie year, I recovered fumbles, did things, and, and it was like that's what I do. And so uh, and so during this play, I'm in the backfield, and I'm saying this is probably the last play of the game because uh, it's fourth down for us. And you know, if nothing happens, the game is over. Or even if there is a completion or something, game probably over anyway because there's not that much time left on the clock. Uh, so when he threw the ball, I just said, "Hey, Franco, you know, go to the ball." And uh, and and myself and Phil Villipiano, we have a lot of fun with this because Phil Villipiano was covering me at the time, and uh, and I always thank him for doing such a lousy job on that. <laughs> but uh, and, I, and like I do want to just put a sidebar in here that. Uh, Every December 23rd, me, Phil Villapiano, and Frenchie Fuqua, we do, we do talk. That's part one of our conversation with Franco Harris back in August of 2015. Of course, Harris passed away today at the age of 72. Everyone remembers the uh, immaculate reception. Uh, he was a big part of that Steelers dynasty. In fact, his, that play is what spearheaded the Steelers dynasty of the 70s. Uh, rest in peace to Franco Harris. When we come back, we'll hear part two of John Canzano's conversation with Franco Harris. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. You're listening to the best of the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the BFT on the BFT radio network. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. We're going to play you part two of Franco Harris's conversation with John Canzano back in 2015 here in just a moment. I do want to let you know, coming up on the program, we've got uh, today's comments by Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith. Of course, it's uh, National Early Signing Day. Big news for both the schools. Uh, Stephen, really quickly before we hear part two from Franco Harris, uh, man, big day for the Ducks today. Yeah, you know, they got a couple five-star uh, players they like got, 10 minutes yeah just rapidly you know and flips too you know it wasn't like it was mm. the guys that were going up they flipped guys um you know they lose dante Moore the other day but they come and go out and get a quarterback again today um volastad i believe his name was yes. uh, committed to baylor but now he's at oregon so yeah big day for oregon i mean everywhere you look they're top 10 in the recruiting rankings i think you know dan lanning there was some questions you know about him coaching wise recruiting wise he loses dante Moore, but I think all those can be put to rest today with the big day Oregon had. Yeah, without a doubt. So you'll hear from Dan Lanning. You'll hear from Jonathan Smith. Of course, later in this best of edition, you'll hear from Dan Lanning's father, Don Lanning. He uh, joined this program on August 24th, had a nice conversation about his son. So if you missed that originally, you want to hear a little background on uh, Dan Lanning's past growing up. His, uh, his values, his character, you're not going to want to miss that. But for right now, let's go back. 
to August 28th, 2015, and hear part two of Franco Harris's conversation right here on The Best of the Bald Face Truth. The Raiders, uh, John Madden has said that he'll never get over it. We had Tatum on the show uh, years ago, and he said at that time that he be- it was too hard to tell if he touched it or did Fuqua t- touch it. And But what do you make of all the Raider fans who still, all these years later, will say that that ball should not have counted? <laughs> oh, I know. I still hear a lot of that. And like it was quite interesting when I... Uh heard the radio's announcers uh, take on that on that game and, and right at, at that time. It was quite different than the Pittsburgh guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but it was interesting to hear the Raider version from their radio broadcaster. Well, they kind of had uh, the holy roller. <laughs> like if you think, say, like things balance out, you know, the, they use the holy roller. They get a touchdown there. Yeah, they did. You know. <laughs> Franco Harris is our guest. Uh, what are you doing now? Are you uh, are you in charge of a business? Or are you just what? What do you do? We don't see a lot of you. Uh, you know what? It's um, you know it's been you know great to transition after football. I'm doing my other passion and love, and that's business. I I love business, and uh, and um, so we have a business that we started about uh, four years ago that's in the field of sports and sports apparel, and it's called Silver Sport. And, uh, and we have, uh, you know, workout towels, you know, uh, you know your performance socks, uh, you know, T-shirts, you know, tops, uh, uh, you know, all everything you need for your fitness and your workouts. And we make it with silver. And with that, that means you'll be having odor-free workouts and odor-free sports. Uh, that's a silver, uh, 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 the silver, our, our silver sport line is, uh, uh, just as I mentioned, gives you the odor-free Workout and odor free performance, so there is no smell. What about how hard you work out, how much you sweat, how long you have it on? It doesn't matter how long you have it on. You can have it on from morning to midnight, and there will be no odor on on the apparel, silver sport apparel that you're wearing. And it's uh, and people can check it out on silversport.com. It's pretty exciting, it, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's been great, uh, uh, our Silver Sport Apparel. What do, you, what do you think of Terry Bradshaw becoming a uh, country music singer? You hear, you hear his album? <laughs> oh, I've heard Terry sing from way back, and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well... You know, uh, like like I put it this way, I'm uh, um, I'm glad he's doing well on TV. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, he is a hoot, though. There he is. He is great. Was he like that back then in the huddle in meetings? Was Terry Terry? Terry was Terry. I mean, ever since I've known Terry, Terry's been Terry. 
and uh, and uh, you know what he's doing now is great. Uh, you know, does a great job. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, he's a great quarterback, as we know, and talking about big, strong quarterbacks and with a with an arm. Whew, wow, could he throw that ball? And tough to bring down, and a tough competitor. Tough competitor. Franco Harris is our guest. Uh, you know, the Steelers won when you arrived, and when you left, they became losers again after you for a while. Did When you look back at your time there, um, there are not a lot of guys that get to play that long at that high a level with 10,000-yard seasons and Super Bowls and the coach. And Did you realize at the time what a special group that was, or how long did it take for that to set in? You know what, while we were playing, it did set in during that time. And and we realized that we had a special group here. And, and we really enjoyed each other. And we did a lot of things together. And... Uh, uh, and and to me that even helped to bond even more. Uh, uh, but uh, no, it was it it was special, and 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 I knew I had some some special teammates, and so we always try to do certain things that uh, uh, t- together that we could we could share, uh, and. And it happened, uh, you know, just that whole decade, and uh, and like the '70s were kind of crazy and special in its own way. Believe me, uh, I look at pictures and see some of the clothes that we were wearing, and it's like, oh my gosh, we should wear that. <laughs> our hair, man, our hair looked like this. I'm saying, golly, but you know what? It was a special time. It, it really was, and football was great there were a lot of great competitive teams and uh and you know we had big rivalries and more than one rivalry you know there were a number of teams that uh uh that we uh, were competing against and that were great teams so it was a special time during the 70s and uh and we look back on it now and and looked at you know look at what we accomplished and and you really feel good about it. And and as I mentioned, you really feel good that there were a lot of other great teams during that time. And that during that time, what we accomplished was pretty amazing. Four-time Super Bowl champion. And you know, a lot of talk here in the Northwest about the Super Bowl last year. Marshawn not getting the ball on the one-yard line. I don't think your coach would have done anything other than hand you the football there. Like I'd probably say that just about everybody watching that game would have known what to do, uh, and you hate to second guess <laughs> situations, um, uh, but I guess we do it because of what happened, and um, and you know I'm a. Like I'm a guy that just you know loved the running game and the running game. Uh, to me, a lot of emphasis has gone up off of it, and uh, 
And in situations like that, uh, I think because a lot of teams aren't, you know, well, I shouldn't say that about Seattle because they really should be, but like I guess I'm saying overall then that uh, a lot of teams just aren't run conscious. And, and you know, no, back in our day, that's, I mean, that was a no-brainer. Uh, but uh, uh, but today it could be third and one or, or whatever, and you see passes. So, I mean, that's the way the game is today. You, I see some guys when they walk away or they retire, they like to stay away that, you know, they had enough football. Are you much of a watcher on Sundays and Monday nights? Love the game. Love to watch it. Um, but but I love sports, too. I mean, you know, I uh, uh, love watching the Pirates and, uh, you know, the Penguins. Uh, we don't have a basketball team, but, you know, I... You know, went went to Cleveland, you know, to watch a game with, you know, LeBron's there now, so that makes it exciting, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm a uh, sports fan. Do you think uh, LeBron could have been a tight end or an outside linebacker on that <laughs> 70s team? On the 70s yeah, team? Yeah, 70s Steelers. <laughs> Probably a defensive tackle uh, at his size, you know, compared to well, that. Oh. Well, like I'm trying to think who, who he would have replaced, you know, we yeah. had yeah, you know, we had some good ones. So, uh, uh, at the, let me see what, he's 6'7", six, 6'8"? Six, yeah. Hmm. Uh, probably would have been a defensive end, I'm guessing. But then who would he replace then, too? I don't know. Yeah. That would have been tough to make make that defensive team. So maybe maybe tight end. Okay, I'll give him that. He had a backup tight end on, the, on one of those Steelers teams that won. <laughs> Uh, Franco Harris, uh, we wish you the best with Silver Sport, and we, appreci- we appreciate your time. I love uh, having guests on that have uh, so much to share, and so uh, we look forward to talking to you again someday. Thanks, John, and hello, Portland. And get out here and get Thanks, us city. get us an NFL team in Portland. <laughs> Franco Harris wants to. Oh, that would be great. Frank, can that be the headline? Franco Harris wants to bring the NFL to Portland. There you go. Absolutely. There it is. I'm there. <laughs> All right. I am there. Thank you. Okay. That's the great Franco Harris on this very show back in August of 2015. Of course, Harris, uh, part of the the Immaculate Reception, passed away today at the age of 72. Man, what a nice conversation that was, Stephen. Just nice, friendly. He seemed like a great guy. I never met him. Yeah, seemed like a great guy. Uh, and for how good he is, you know, that's the thing is like sometimes these athletes they come in and they're so good and they're Hall of Famers, but then they're mm. just their personality is terrible, right? But not Franco Harris. Like he seemed like he was a genuinely good person and. Uh, yeah, you know, it was a good conversation to have that he had there, and uh, it's it just cool to go down the memory lane. You know, I when I think of the Steelers in the 70s, you know, I had this VHS tape, the greatest highlights of the Super Bowl. Yeah. And so it's like they had a big thing on the Steelers back in the 70s, so it's like, you know, a big part of it. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's tough to lose a guy like that, but, uh, you know. That's what happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Far too young gave us uh, probably the greatest play in NFL history. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. Let's uh, let's do a little early signing day talk here. Jonathan Smith uh, got on a Zoom call, talked about uh, all the recruits he locked up today. We'll share that uh, conversation with you next. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Welcome back in. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. You heard from Franco Harris earlier in this program. Of course, Harris passed away today at the age of 72. Later in the show, we've got some great stuff. We've got our immediate reaction to uh, Kenny Dillingham being hired at ASU. Of course, if you listen to the show regularly, uh, no surprise, Stephen, that move has been hinted at on these airwaves for uh, three months. Yeah, I mean, basically once Herm got fired, looking at the potential candidates like oh Kenny Dillingham has ties to Arizona State that looks like a guy that uh, could go there so uh, yeah we, we, we've been on it we've been on that one yeah it was pretty clear and of course in the uh, final hour uh, Dan Lanning's father Don Lanning is uh, going to uh, we're going to revisit that uh, conversation from earlier this summer so if you want to hear about Dan Lanning's uh, his past his childhood his values his character who better to hear from than his dad and of course we got him. And we'll also hear from uh, Jaden Grant. That was from just about three weeks ago, right after the uh, victory over Oregon. Of course, uh, Jaden Grant was hospitalized with an injury. He's talking about dealing with that as well. But really quickly, let's uh, let's talk some uh, early signing day. It was today. Oregon Ducks, Oregon State Beavers, they locked up a lot of their young guys. Let's hear from Jonathan Smith earlier this morning talking early signing day. Exciting day. Um, I think it's just another step of momentum for the program. Finishing off a great season uh, in a lot of ways. Obviously, the bowl victory, and then it piles right into a signing day. Uh, and we're really, really happy of how this all turned out. I do want to start with thanking a, a coaching staff for a lot of work, and especially our recruiting staff. That department, there's a lot that goes into these relationships and details, um, a lot of work. Um, being able to land a big-time signing class of Cole Moore, Mike Dock, JT, Josh, Jalen Moore, Austin, Nick Bristol, Jake, Namasnack, Derek, all that crew did a phenomenal job throughout the last year, and sometimes more than that, uh, to be able to, to finish this thing and feel really, really good about it. And we've got great people around here that work really hard, so I wanted to thank them for sure. I'll take you through each guy here. Um, start on offense with the quarterback, Aiden Childs. Long relationship. Um, did a great job of helping to recruit this class, but this guy had a phenomenal year as a senior. Won a bunch of games. think he fits us in a lot of different ways. He's talented, can throw it, um, not scared to run it, athletic that way. think he's going to be a, a, a good size. He's all a 6'5 now. Um, he's going to be here in January, and he's a leader. And he helped with this recruiting class, and you could see it when we got a chance to see him live play during the fall. So leadership qualities that, you know, that matters at quarterback. Couldn't be more excited about him. Wanted to get some young receivers in the program. Got four of them. All of them, I think, can make a huge difference for them. Three of these four receivers will be here in January as well. Zachary Carr, Pittsburgh, kind of uh, Northern California. Reminds us a little bit of Anthony Gould, kind of got speed, real speed, grit, loves football, tough, had a good year. Um, he'll he'll be here in January. Montrell Hatton down there in Carthage, Texas. Awesome home visit with him uh, before we took off for the bowl game. Him and his family, beautiful people. This guy is talented. He was on a really good team that won a lot of games. He's, you know, he's used to winning in that program. Feel like he can stretch the field. Uh, so we feel awesome about him. Taz all the way out 
uh, Fort Lauderdale, went and saw him before the bowl game. Taz Reddick's uh, speedster, he'll be here in January. Uh, feel like he can change direction, good hands, really good player. Uh, and then to finish that receiver crew up, David Wells up here in Washington, Lakes High School, comes from a really good program. Saw him in a summer camp and got uh, just felt really confident seeing him compete. Uh, Skill set-wise, he's got it, can run and catch and all those things. So really good. The four receivers, it was a priority for us to get some younger guys that can run and three of them being here in January. I can see a couple of those guys competing to play here in the fall. Uh, tight end-wise, Cooper Jensen, again, from Washington. I think Washington's got good football players up there. I think it's a good spot for us to be able to recruit location-wise, climate-wise. And Cooper was one of the earliest commits we had in this class. feel like his upside is big. Uh, can run, he's tall, continue to get stronger and, and, uh, and heavier, which is perfect for what, what we want to do. Uh, stretch the field, but he's physical enough to play at the line of scrimmage. And you know how we like to use the tight end. He's a great addition that way. Great family as well. Two old linemen. Really like these guys because I think they fit our mold too of making the game physical. Start with Jake Vanderson over there in Montana. Uh, came out on a visit. Really um, enjoyed the atmosphere. I think, again, I go back to the fit. I think the old line room itself helped recruit. Jacob, just in him experience and being around our guys, he's going to fit there. Athletic enough to play tackle, physical enough to play inside. He's got some flexibility that way. And then Xander, Esty, uh, like this guy, we saw him at camp in, in the summertime, came up to one of our camps, and just the ability to compete, athletic, physical, um, really good addition. We like both those guys. I think Xander, again, maybe starts interior-wise, but I think he's athletic enough to play on the on the edge. And so we like the again the youth, a lot of players there on offense that we think will make a difference for us. Flipping to the other side defensively, had some guys early on that we really wanted to chase. And big picture, we wanted depth at every spot. I'll start here with the D-line, start with Thomas Collins, our international coming over from Sweden. Uh, made his visit out here late spring. Uh, early summertime, I think it helped that we had Simon Sandberg on the team that had just experienced, you know, coming overseas and, and playing. So I, Simon did help us a ton in the recruitment of Thomas. He'll be here in January, uh, physical, athletic, explosive. I think he can help us pretty early. JoJo, Abraham Johnson, over from Salt Lake. Same thing. We got to see him in person at camp as well, competing um, I think he's got a huge upside. He's a good, good sized kid, physical, athletic, a um, little bit newer to football going through it in high school. Uh, but the upside is there. Uh, quality family uh, had some connections actually within our staff here that knew the family. Well, I think that helped us. And then you end with Kelsey Howard, Las Vegas. Um, yeah, a good player. I mean, his tape jumps out all of the size you need, physicality, athleticism, Beautiful personality, um, him and his family. I think they just really fell in love with Corvallis when they visited in June. Got the chance to see him down in Las Vegas because he's from from the place. Um, a great addition. He'll be here in January as well. So both Thomas and Kelsey being here in January, be able to get some great reps in the spring at the line of scrimmage. Zakaya earlier, he came out really with a, one of his team. I don't know if we were totally on his radar last spring. 
but he can see in the place. I think he really enjoyed it. We got him back out here for an official visit. Uh, went and saw him before the bowl game trip. Uh, you know, again, family great, plays good football, coming from a really good pro uh, program. Got all the levers you need, got real length. Fits what we want to do on the edge of the line of scrimmage, can affect the passer. Uh, so it felt awesome about being able to land him on the edge. Nico Taylor, the one older one currently that's on the list, had a big time year. Uh, edge player, has some ties to California growing up, but played out there, Kansas, and uh, got to see him and the family before we got to the bowl game. We feel this one's a really good get and an immediate impact player. He'll be here in January. Again, edge of the defense, effective passer. He's got length, toughness, smart. Um, and so he's our junior college player currently. Uh, Leonard Ahu out there in the island. Leonard came out in the summer as well. He's planning on taking a more mission, which is, which is fine. I think that's awesome kind of life experience for those guys to be able to do. But we also, you know, he can play the game now. Uh, linebacker run, going to be good size, especially after a couple of years. Be anxious to go see him in January. Didn't get a chance to do it because of the bowl game. Uh, and then along with Isaiah Chisholm, inside linebacker. Um, this was a battle. Coach Bray, this defensive staff, I think he really felt like he was a priority and he fit in to what we were trying to do defensively. He's helped us on the recruiting end, and which was a battle with himself, but he's helped us land some of these other guys in this class. Physical player, I can see him physically being ready to contribute. Um, uh, you know, again, I don't want to oversell. Oftentimes being a freshman is not easy, but this guy's got a physical skill set that could impact things right away. And then on the back end, you know, we need some DBs and a couple of guys that got some length um, at corner. Start with Jamad McCoy out in Texas. The length is there. Good baseball player, which is a, fa a fan. Had a nice home visit, was able to see him. Uh, before the signing date, feel like he can has all the the physical tools you need and what we're looking for at corner, the length we want, can run, and he's got good ball skills. Uh, Andre Jordan, and again, federal way, athletic, tough. He actually played both ways, can catch it, but we can't count on him to be able to cover guys for us. Played some big-time receiver and DB um, at a federal way. Another good kid. From, from that part of the state. And then Harlem Howard, um, a little bit later in the process, just watched his tape from his senior year, had a great year. Feel like he's going to be physical at the safety position, be able to cover and tackle. Um, and so we were able to go over and see him as well before the, before the bowl game. So all in all, you know, seven of these guys will be here in whatever it is, two, three weeks, um, which is a huge help. The rest of the class will be showing up in the summertime. Which is, uh, which is totally good with us. I think we've covered a lot of positions which we wanted to get some, some young new talent in and create more competition in the room. And so we were, uh, like I can say, really pleased with how it all played out. Continued momentum of a season, finishing off. Can't thank the recruiting staff and the whole staff for the work that goes into this thing. We feel like these guys fit our place and play football and are good dudes and school's important to them. Okay, long-winded there, but questions? All right, Nick, go ahead. Typically, you do these these signing day press conferences in the afternoon, and you're doing yours at 11. 
Um, is that a sign of how confident you were you were able to get these guys in and, and sign them early and not have any issues on signing day? Yeah, I think we, we were definitely confident, um, you know, the couple of days leading into it, even more confident. Um, again, we these some of these relationships have been going on a long time. And so, uh, again, we felt confident that, yeah, today was going to be pseudo uneventful in the way it played out. And that goes back to the fit, the type of guys – that we're recruiting. Um, they've chosen us over a long period of time, and we were confident nothing was going to change in the last hour. Hey, Angie. So, Coach Smith, I'm looking at the all-time commits from 24-7 Sports, and right now Oregon State has two in Aiden Childs and Kelsey Howard that are in the top 10, first time since 2012. Do you feel that it's getting a little easier to get into some of these top prospects' homes than maybe it was a couple years ago? Without question. I mean, and, you know, the momentum, progress, winning, all of that helps. I think our message continues to resonate with more and more players. Um, I think that, you know, we, however they're, they're rated this entire class, I think we've got an opportunity for everybody to be a real contributor and big-time player here. I think that's played out over the last couple of years. We have really good players that maybe that not the same type of attention on signing date. Um, not to take anything away from the career, high school career, like Aiden, Kelsey, have had. Those guys are good players. They had a bunch of options. Uh, we feel awesome that they they chose us because we we're, we're confident they can do some great things here. Yeah. So that's uh, Coach Jonathan Smith coming off a ten win season, a bowl win, a win over Oregon on early signing day. Of course, uh, four star quarterback Aiden Childs been committed for a while, but he has put pen to paper. They also got a uh, four star uh, Kelsey Howard, defensive lineman. I think he's their highest rated high school defensive pledge ever. And uh, that's great news for Jonathan Smith and the Beavers. Of course, later in the program, we will hear from uh, Coach Dan Landing talking about early signing day. The Ducks, they had themselves a day as well. We'll kick it around next. It is the best of the bald-faced truth later in the program. We've got Jaden Grant. We've got Dan Landing's dad, Don Landing. We've got uh, the team reacting to Kenny Dillingham going to ASU earlier this year. All of that ahead. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. Keep it right here. It's the best of the BFT. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. This is the best of the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you're uh, all prepped, at least up here in the Portland area. I know it's going to be not as bad as you get down to Eugene, but uh, everyone's getting prepared for a, what seems like it's going to be at least the worst storm since, uh, what was that, 2021? Was that February 2021? Yeah, got to be that. It was that was pretty bad too. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Power went out. I remember yeah. there was a lot of that going on. Being without power, it. I'll never forget uh, my show in Portland, The Pulse, uh, which airs after this show. Again, just here in Portland, uh, it started as a weekend show, and I remember we that storm. We knew it was coming. And uh, they say, my show was debuting that Saturday. It started as a Saturday show. It, I don't remember if it was 10 to noon, noon to 2, whatever it was. And I was like, yes, I'm doing this show. I'm doing the show. I don't care what it was. And uh, Alpha Media, the parent company here downtown, you know, well, we'll get, we got rooms at the Hilton just down the street. Anyone that needs one, do it. And I say, well, I'm good. 
But uh, anyone else need a room? And my board op at the time, who does not work here anymore, he lived in uh, in uh, Tiger, I think it was, Beaverton. And he said, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then the day comes and, you know, multiple inches of snow and ice and everything. He's like, yeah, I'm not coming. I can't come. And I said, this is the debut of my show. I'm not putting it off. I had a hell of an adventure getting here. I sat in that room. I ran my own board, and I debuted the Pulse uh, while everyone was stuck at home, Stephen. The things you do. Yeah, that that storm was bad. I remember we uh, we lost power for a couple days, and it was yeah. one of the most miserable times in my life just with kids not having power. So, like, I was looking forward to going to work so I could just, like, get out of that area <laughs> and, like, be around just, like, lights and heat. So, yeah, that was really bad. But you know what? I I think most of us would do that decision you made, right? Like, if, if your show is debuting, you're going to do everything in your power to get that on there. It, I, I blame that board up. He's got to be better. Yeah, I w- he's, he's a great guy. I got no beef with him. But I'll be honest, I was a little peeved. I would have been here. Because I'll tell you that. I'll tell you I, that. I'd be here for That's that. the thing. I know you would have been. And, and I get it. I get it. Like, he lived in, I think it was Beaverton, not Tigard. And so, you know, you just can't make the commute. The weather's not cooperating. Don't kill yourself to get in here. The real beef I had was... We all knew this was going to happen. You had a free, fancy hotel room at the Hilton. Just write down. I understand that maybe that's not ideal. You don't want to stay there. But it is what it is. We knew it was coming. We're all committed to being here. You know, we were down to a, you know, a bare bones crew. We understand maybe we can't execute everything we wanted to do. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. But the show went off without a hitch. I was my own board op. Of course, it's moved on. Now I'm on after this show. Working on a pretty, I'm not going to jinx it yet, but I'm working on a pretty awesome guest next week. So if you're a fan of uh, college basketball in the area, uh, I'll, maybe we'll just say that uh, and leave it there. So you're not going to want to miss my show next week as well. Coming up on the other side, let's continue early signing day. Let's hear from Dan Lanning this morning. Uh, the Ducks. Yeah, they didn't do too badly, did they? Dan Lanning next. This is the best of the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Welcome back to the best of the bald-faced truth. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. In hour number one, uh, in honor of Franco Harris's passing, you heard a conversation with him back in 2015. It was an awesome two-parter. We've heard from Jonathan Smith talking about early signing day. He had his press conference at 11 in the morning. At the same time, the exact same time, Dan Lanning was talking early signing day. Let's jump right to him talking about what was a big day for the Oregon Ducks. All right, exciting day for the Ducks. Um you know, we're, we are uh, right now in the process of building some important pieces as we uh, grow moving forward. You know, I think that we put a lot of attention and finding guys with obviously elite talent, but also elite character um, as we were building this class. And we found a class that was really connected. We talk about connection being one of our DNA traits. You know, at the end of the day, I think piecing this class together, a big part of that was um, really just the, the connection we have with each family of each one of these players this joining our group. I know I can't uh, talk about each one of them specifically. I know there's some that we'll continue to release throughout the day. Um, and some we have their information already that we're holding, but really excited about this group. We got a group that has a lot of state champions in it. We have a group that um, has some guys that are really high GPA guys. We were able to address some needs 
um, you know, across the board for our team that I think are going to make us better moving forward as we move into next season. So with that being said, we can open it up for questions. All right. First question, Matt Preen. Yeah, Dan, just what's been the last 24, 48, 72 hours been like and just the twists and turns from how would you describe just the finishing touches your staff has been able to, to accomplish? Well, you, at the end of the day, you want to be in a position when you get down to the end. And uh, I think every one of us has had our phones plugged in pretty much nonstop for the last 48. Um, and there's been a lot of conversations. And, you know, one thing I think that we'll we'll spend a lot of time on is we're never going to trick any some trick someone into coming to Oregon. We want someone to pick Oregon because it's the right feel for them in their heart. They know it's a place they can grow and they can get better. Uh, and same for us. You know, I, I think when there's a sales pitch, um, that doesn't fit you, what you realize is you're going to lose people in your program. And, um, one thing that I'm proud of right now is if you look at our freshmen, uh, we don't have a single freshman in the transfer portal right now. What's that mean? It means what we said last year is, is reality, right? And, uh, the people we're able to bring on board, um, we're excited about the direction we're headed. And that's the same thing we're looking for as we add, um, pieces moving forward. James Crapia. Dan, for even those who follow recruiting pretty closely, um, a lot is being made of flipping guys today and surprises and those things, but obviously you're far more plugged in and know everything that's going on behind the scenes. So just how much of the day, if at all has been or will be surprising to you, or how much of this has been uh, just a lot of work that becomes uh, unexpected surprises for those on the outside, but uh, things that you guys were kind of plugged in uh, to and the, you know, months leading up to this. Yeah, really a combination of both. You know, generally there's not a lot of opportunities where you get to the the uh, hat ceremony, you don't know where you sit. Um, I would say that we were really clued in to be in great position on a lot of these as they finished and have, uh, you know, had a lot of confidence, really securing a lot of that confidence last night as uh, we we're able to roll into the day. And, um, but yeah, there's certainly some moments where you get up there and you feel like you're right there in the fight and you don't know. So it's been a pleasant surprise. We've gotten, um, I think everyone sees what we're building and I think there's some players that want to be a part of something special. And all this does is create momentum for us moving forward. And they realize that you can reach all of your goals and aspirations right here. Zach Neal. Coach, I'm wondering what it was like kind of watching Will Stein, your new offensive coordinator, go to work over the past couple of weeks. And uh, once you guys had to pivot at quarterback and seeing where he went and how those relationships that he built with Austin kind of allowed that to come to fruition. Yeah, Will's a guy that's felt very strong from the moment he stepped on campus um, about Austin. And obviously, his Austin's a guy that he had a relationship with uh, all the way back to when Austin was in eighth grade. And I think when you watch the film and you start to do a deep dive into uh, Austin's character and learn more about his family, you realize right away what a special individual he is. But that's a place where Will's relationships really paid off. Um, and he obviously did a phenomenal job there closing out. Eric Scopel. Coach, I guess I'm just curious how you would just broad strokes kind of characterize this class. I know there's moving parts still to finish it, but just kind of what are some, I guess, some of the adjectives you might use to describe what you guys have put together today? The the number one adjective I, I would use is winners, right? We got a bunch of winners in this group. Like I said, guys that are, um, you know, state championships with their high school team, um, guys that have been captains for their team, guys that achieve really at a high level in the classroom. They're going to compete in um, some of these um, – you know, championship bowl games, some of these bowl games are going to get an opportunity to go compete at. And I think that speaks to what kind of how these guys are wired, right? They love competition. Um, they're not afraid to be a part of a great class. You know, some guys are concerned about who else is going to be in the class with them and who they're going to have to compete against. These are guys that want to go play with the best because they know that really, you know, that's going to re result in wins, right? When you have great players around, you have an opportunity to be 
a great team. And uh, that's something I'm really excited about with this group. Warren Williamson. And I'm curious if there's a protocol in place for kids who flip from one school to the next. For instance, Dante, are they required or is there a protocol where they call you and say, hey, coach, I'm flipping? And what are those conversations like? I'm not going to speak to specific players um, other than the landscape of college football continues to change. Uh, and I think the teams that do the best job adapting uh, are the teams that are going to be successful. And we have a, a staff that's elite that's done a great job, um, you know, of closing out. And we're, we're going to lean on relationships for us to have, you know, great success. And I think that's paying off right now. Um, ultimately, we're really excited about the guys we got coming into this program. And we have some guys that I think are going to make us a lot better moving forward. Jacob Hammer. Uh, Coach, I'm curious, what's the biggest differences between getting a class last year when you're coming in as a first-time head coach and kind of piecing together the 2022 recruiting class based on being the head coach this whole year and kind of working this whole time and, you know, putting together what you think is the best uh, opportunity to keep the program succeeding? Yeah, ultimately, the biggest thing, Jacob, is time, right? We had time to be really thorough and um, go back and evaluate. There's some guys that trusted us last year that stayed on board. I think I got hired and signing day was less than a week later, right? And it didn't it didn't necessarily provide a lot of opportunity for um, – there, there, there was a little bit of a trust factor that had to go in there, but not the opportunity to develop relationships like we like to develop. And this year, what we have, we had the opportunity to do that, to develop um, strong relationships going down the stretch, um, you know, with guys that uh, we think can impact us in a positive light. Matt Preem. State of Texas has been really good for you guys. Um, there's some guys that you can't talk about right now, but I think the total is six. That's the most since, I think, at least 2012. What what was it that helped you have that success this year in, in the state of Texas? And how do you just envision recruiting that state moving forward, especially with Will's addition, another guy that has ties there? Yeah, I think we're going to lean on on uh, some of our comfortability, and we have a lot of coaches that are familiar with that area. That being said, you know, we feel like we can go, go anywhere in the nation and attack the best players in the nation um, and bring them aboard. But there's no doubt there's great talent in Texas, and as long as there's great talent in Texas, we're going to recruit it hard um, and do everything we can to make sure that talent uh, makes its way to Oregon. James Crepia. I realize much is made about the signing day, Dan, but because of the periods that kind of converge simultaneously, it's so much about roster management and the portal and also retaining guys. Um, so I realize he's not signed per se, but what kind of effect does Bo announcing that he's coming back have on what became of today? And, and, you know, in, in basketball, they talk about the Pied Piper effect. Do you believe that there's going to be a, a positive impact to that of uh, not only who he's helped you recruit already out of the portal, but going forward here, the rest of this period of the portal window and in the spring portal window of having your quarterback back? Yeah, we're excited for Bo. You know, ultimately, my goal as a coach is sitting back and making sure Bo feels comfortable about making the decision he has to move uh, and, and make going forward for him. I, I wanted him to be able to do that with a clear mind and really have some time to sit down and process and evaluate his situation. I thought he did a phenomenal job of that. I thought he had a really strong um, circle of trust that he could really lean on. And I want to kind of step back and let him go through that process. And he did a, an exceptional job of that. But there's no doubt that great players want to play with uh, great players, right? And Bo's a, a really talented player that makes us strong moving forward. And uh, he certainly had a positive impact on us finishing down the stretch. And we'll continue to do that, you know, um, as we move forward. Ralph Russo, AP. Hey, Dan, how are you? Congratulations on a good day. Thanks. Um, you know, when when Oregon makes a big splash on a day like today, 
really anybody, there's a lot you'll hear people say, well, NIL, NIL is what's 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 driving all this stuff. And NIL is is a piece of recruiting, I'm sure. But I guess when you hear that, that a NIL is driving all this stuff, what is what is your reaction? Well, I think it's it's great to be in a place where you can be innovative and ahead of the curve. But I think anybody that really knows college football right now knows there's a lot more to uh, recruiting than NIL. Um, nobody picks the place just because of uh, those factors. Certainly some of those factors matter. And you want to be in a place where you can build a brand. I don't think there's anywhere in the nation that's better than Oregon when it comes to that uh, and being able to build a brand for yourself as a player. But it, it goes back to relationships. And the guys that we've been able to, you know, pull – um, and get on our team here, that's because of relationships. That's because of long-term relationships. Um, and I think any, any of them would tell you that same thing. These guys are picking places based on what's the best opportunity for them. Um, and that's that's what we continue to look for is who can make us better and how can we make them better. Zach Neal. Coach, there are a lot of individual players I want to talk about. Uh, obviously, a lot that you can't answer just yet. But one guy that stood out to me is Kenyon Sadiq, who I know you can talk about. Uh, I just want to hear what you thought from him in the recruiting process. His tape really just jumps off the film. Um, just kind of what you saw from him and how much of an instant impact he can have. Yeah, I'm really excited about Kenyon. He um, obviously is a, is a really talented player and probably is not uh, get or receive the amount of attention that he deserves. I think anybody that watches the film can see that he's really good. And uh, special is athleticism shows up. He's got great size. He's a workout warrior. The guy loves the gym, wants to be great, um, is excited to be a part of what we're building here at Oregon. So uh, that that's one of these guys that, that fits every characteristic that we're looking for in our program as we build this program. So really pumped about him and, and him being part of what we're doing. Eric Scopel. Yeah, it looks like maybe about a third of the guys who are expected to sign or have signed our offense defensive line, just kind of talk about what was important about kind of recruiting the trenches and what you think you accomplished there. Yeah. I think anybody that knows football knows that the game's one up front, right? And if you want to be able to, to get the ball out to people in perimeter or have people on the perimeter, make an impact, it starts with, with winning in the trenches, having a great defensive line, having a great offensive line is a big part um, of our success and will continue to be a big part of our success. James. Dan, following up on the uh, NIL topic, because it comes up, Again, everywhere, it's, it's part of it. Um, there's a lot of places, particularly in the SEC, where they're very out there and, and uh, from the coaches, athletic directors, pounding the pavement and, and galvanize, trying to galvanize their fan bases and say, hey, give to this collective. We got to support this. Um, that has not been the stance here. Uh, and I know Division Street kind of operates in, in its own kind of entity and, and doesn't ask for input from um, directly from fans. Uh, Ducks Rising does. Well, uh, I'm not saying good, bad, or otherwise about it, Dan. Just what is the uh, uh, strategy uh, for you folks regarding it when others are out there and you've got ADs saying we need X many millions of dollars uh, to keep our class together, but you guys have not necessarily gone that route, um, what the strategy is in terms of galvanizing fans for, for NIL purposes? Yeah, I can't speak to other programs. Um, we certainly want and will take all help we can get. So anybody that wants to help contribute, you know, for us to have success, I, you know, I think we welcome that. Um, we just want to be able to do it the right way. And that there's um, that's the key is being able to do it the right way as you move forward. But we want to be able to support our student athletes. We want them to be able to uh, take advantage of, you know, uh, the opportunities that sit in front of them. And I'm, I'm grateful that I'm in a place that's um, able to do that. Matt Bream. What, what did you like about Austin Novosad and just, you know, the traits that he brings to this class? And just did you get a feeling when he was on campus this past weekend that this was where it was going or were you kind of up in the air on that? Yeah, no, I uh, 
Absolutely. Uh, he has the ability to put, place the ball. I think if you watch his film, you're going to see some really accurate throws and challenging throws. You know, a lot of quarterbacks might be able to throw a deep ball and throw, you know, some quick game throws. One thing that shows up consistently with Austin is his ability to throw intermediate routes really accurately. I think that's hard to do in football. And then the more you're around him, you realize his intelligence and his desire to be great. Um, this is a guy that's really hungry and uh, I think really excited to have some great weapons around him. So um, his family, I just kind of fell in love with. And just the more I got to be around Austin, I realized that we were wired similar way. And his relationship with Will, I think, is is obviously something that we really wanted to tap into and were able to utilize down the stretch. Tyson Alger. Internally amongst the program, is is the portal like a taboo subject? Like, do you guys have conversations with players about, like, you know, because it, it's just such a prevalent thing in, in football now, no matter what what team you're coaching. Like, do you, you guys talk to players about, like, where their positions may be? Or when somebody enters, is it just catching you guys as much by surprise as anybody else? I think communication is key in any program. Um, I think there's, there's probably a lot more conversations that happen. Um, and, and we're really open to conversations. You know, we want guys to do what's best for them. And in this day and age, uh, you can't hold grudges. You can't get upset with guys. You you want people to be in an opportunity that they're happy about. And ultimately, I think we have a you know healthy locker room. We have you know great continuity um, because we're able to be really open. And some guys are going to be the perfect fit for here, and some guys aren't. And they're and that's going to happen. That's college football right now. Um, but I'm I'm certainly excited about the health of those conversations in our locker room. The fact that you're able to walk in the door and talk to us about uh, tough decisions. That's going to happen. You know, and that's that's going to be common. And I wish nothing but the best for the people that are part of our program or, uh, you know, people that are moving on. Time for two more. Let's go back to Eric Scopel. Dan, I'm just curious with early enrollees, I know there's a lot of names to go through here, but do you have an idea of kind of how many at least there are going to be? And maybe you can name some names of players you expect to be here for spring. And it sounds like maybe some for even bull prep. Yeah, I'm not going to hop into every single name. That would take a lot of time, Eric, but we're going to have around 15 guys um, and we'll continue to look to enhance, you know, as we move forward. Uh, that number could go slightly up, could go slightly down based on how quickly we can transition transcripts and all those other moving parts that uh, are part of that process. Last question, Zach Neal. Coach, how much does a win like today, I mean, these multiple flips, big commitments, how much does that carry forward into the future for you guys, maybe in the 2024, 2025 class, other players seeing this type of day that you had, these type of big commitments and saying, hey, I kind of want to join that too. How have you seen that happen in the past? You know, I've always felt like um, championships are really won in recruiting, right? That's where it starts, but it's also just as much about championship culture. It's about having the right people on your team that are that of, of people that are rowing the boat in the same direction. And if there's anything I'm excited about this class, I think we got a bunch of guys that are like-minded, anxious for growth, not afraid of hard work, uh, and looking for the opportunity to to build something really special. They see all the things that I see here at Oregon and want to be a part of it. So, yeah, certainly we're going to build off this momentum. we got some great players here, acquire some great players moving forward here in the next 24 um, in the future, um, and certainly today does nothing but help that. All right. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you. Have a great one. That's Oregon coach Dan Lanning, early signing day, uh, talking to the media at about 11 o'clock. Great conversation there. We'll go away, come back on the other side. Uh, We are going to hear more from Jonathan Smith on early signing day. And then, of course, later in the program, we'll hear from Jaden Grant, Dan Lanning's dad, Don Lanning, and more. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Welcome back in. Peter Sampson got Stephen Vaughn with me. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. Of course, we're giving you some stuff from today as well. We just heard from Dan Lanning talking early signing day. Big day for the Ducks. We've heard from Jonathan Smith. Let's give you a little bit more from Coach Smith. This is uh, this is the Beavers coach earlier today talking early signing day. Uh, coach, of course, there's more than just, you know, position numbers that go into these selections. What about this class did you feel like you were looking for as far as, like, characteristics in your players to continue, you know, the progression that Oregon State's going in? Yeah, I think that uh, there's no question that um, the characteristics of what, you know, Oregon State is about, you know, I think our team played it out this season, uh, being a great teammate, uh, development, working hard, competing, earning everything you get. Um, I think that selling points and being able to national football league and and that's stuff that are signing with us. Hey, Brennan. Jonathan, this is the second straight year that you guys have had not a lot of drama, you know, on signing day. I'm just kind of curious, is there any kind of, you know, is that what you guys are gaming for, kind of heading into signing day each year? And do you think it's kind of the staff and your recruiting staff more specifically that's able to kind of get guys real firm? I think, yeah, the recruiting staff does a huge job in that. Again, we're pretty thorough in uh, the process, and the process oftentimes is a year or longer. Um you know, I'm into guys that make a well-thought-out decision. They take their time. They visit multiple places. And when they choose us, we feel confident uh, because they really thought it through. Uh, and those are the type of guys we're looking for. And so last couple of years, that's how it's played out, and we feel awesome about it. Hey, we'll circle back. Nick? Yeah, Jonathan, there's not a, a – appears to no running back in this class. Um, do you feel like – you'll be able to hang on to the guys you've got? Will you look for a guy in the portal? Depending on, yeah, hang on the guys we've got. I, you know, Sean's got a decision to make. Um, we'll, there's still another signing date in February. I think we got a lot to sell. If you're a running back, uh, the way we've done things offensively the last couple of years, um, I think we, we could be able to land one. And so we'll, time will tell on that. Uh, we feel awesome with the guys that are in the room currently. And if all of those guys stay around, um, if there's there's not a need, I guess, in my mind, but things can change. There's going to be players out there, and there's another signing date. Hey, Angie? What's next? I mean, what positions now are you looking now to kind of finish off this class in the next month or so? You know, I, 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 really everyone will be looking at. Um, I go back to, again, your own, your own roster current, where guys are at. Uh, if it stays status quo, well, it's just time will tell. We're always going to be looking for players. We're going to use this month of January to continue to look for players. You know, obviously, the 24 class will be a heavy emphasis. Um, we want to create competition in the room. And so if there's a player out there that we think can add to the competition, help us, whatever position, um, we're not going to be shy about signing them. Hey, Ronald? Uh, heavy on the defense in this class, once again, uh, was that sort of kind of just how it sort of played out for you guys, or was there an emphasis on, you know, specifically building that depth on the defensive side of the ball? Um, well, you know, it wasn't like, oh, more defense than offense. We knew on defense we are going we had some really good players this year that are we departing, and so you're always trying to replace those. Um, you know, it's going even to specific DB. Um, we'll lose some guys at DB, and we need to need to replace those. Line of scrimmage matters and so impact good players with line of scrimmage we're always going to try to do that especially on the defensive front and the edge of the defense so um 
but there was no like emphasis of, Hey, let's do less offense. Got a lot of returning old linemen. Uh, so this class, you know, we got a couple really good ones. We like this, maybe a year from now, we'll be talking more about old line because we anticipate, you know, we got an older, older group up front. Yeah. Brendan. Jonathan, how do you think you and your staff were able to kind of navigate the changing landscape that there is in college football recruiting, particularly with this cycle? Um, I think we're, we're authentic. Um, there's no question the landscape continues to change. Um, and we, we got to be aware of that. We got to be able to be unique in our messaging. Um, we want to be a place of substance. Um, at the same time, the, uh, as the landscape changes, we got to continue to navigate. Um, I think we got a great message. We've got a great place. Um, you're looking for 20 to 25 a year that fits your spot. Um, and I say 20 to 25 a year, you know, that, that number moves a little bit um, up or down. But ultimately, we feel confident 20 year, on average, 20 guys a year that fit our place, that can play football at a high level and contribute to our locker room. We, we feel confident we've done that again. Okay, Erica? Hi. So uh, you talk about Kelsey Howard having such a great personality, and I actually got the chance to meet him in Vegas and experience that firsthand. And he was just so excited to, I mean, talk to me. He was already like, oh, can I get on your show? All that. So what does it mean to have guys that are not only so talented, but are just so excited to play at Oregon State and, like you said, really chose this program because they want to be there, just already having that support and hype from this class? That, that's a little bit why I think it was uneventful at the end of the line. I think a lot of these guys really feel confident in their decision, want to be here, excited about it. Uh, we are looking for guys that, uh, you know, are multifaceted. Like I say, school and being important, football being really important, uh, being talented and on and off the field. And that's a, that's a guy who can, it, it, doing his own music and uh, bubbly personality. You guys are really going to enjoy getting to know him over the next couple of years. Okay, Les? Yeah, Coach, with the timing of this signing period um, overlapping with the bowl season, um, do you think there's is this calendar, does this make sense? Is, is there a better way to do this, in your opinion, that maybe wouldn't push you guys in, in so many directions at the same time? Yeah, you know, it's it's something that, to look at without question because some of you, yeah, might be a disadvantage in ways to not be able to use a full week of traveling recruiting, getting on people's turf, homes, um, when you're spending it at a bowl site. At the same time, I think going to a bowl game, playing a big-time opponent, experiencing that week, and then obviously winning the game, that helps in recruiting, people taking notice of that. So there's I guess there's value on both sides of it. Um, I don't get a strong opinion on, on the schedule itself, I guess, to just we're going to navigate what we – the cards were dealt and I think we did a great job of it, to be honest with you, with the week we had and, and the way we finished the game and now where we're finishing it on signing day. Okay, Nick? Yeah, um, Jonathan, you mentioned uh, Deshaun Fenwick needs to make a decision. Um, you got some other guys, Oladapo. I don't know if uh, Alex Austin, is he is he coming back or is he still deciding Omar Hodges? Really, all those guys are still kind of deciding, which I appreciate out of those guys because they're taking their time, finishing the year, getting all the information. Um, and I'm going to give them the opportunity to kind of announce their decisions. Currently, though, uh, I'm really pleased with the process they're taking uh, to, again, evaluate the information uh, and then make a call. And I think they make their best decisions when they take the time to get the information. That's what they're doing. Hey, Ronald. Uh, obviously, 
Ben went out there and <laughs> balled in the bowl game, but the quarterback position seems to be somewhat still of a talking point amongst at least fans. Um, what exactly were you guys looking for at that quarterback position, and what do you see in Aiden Chows and what kind of competition he can bring to that room? Yep, we're always, every time we recruit a guy that he's going to get opportunity to compete, especially a guy that's arriving early in January, Aiden's going to get a good amount of reps in the spring to be able to compete and go. There's no question that Ben played well in that game uh, to finish. He, he, I think he played his game continues to get better and better. Um, did an awesome job this year. I mean, 7-1 as a starter. Uh, that's tough to do better than that. Just like every position, we're always going to try to create competition in the room. And Ben knows that, just like Joshua Gray knows that. And, you know, Skyler, all the guys know that. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how things continue to play out. Um, but Ben will be ready to compete in, in spring ball, just like Aiden Childs will. And, and like I mentioned, every guy on the roster. Okay, Brendan. Uh, Jonathan, just real quick to confirm, uh, which guys are going to be enrolling early? And then upon uh, that, uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier with a few guys, but any more guys that could potentially stand out to play early just right off the right off the cuff? Yep. So arrivals in January, Aiden Childs, Zach Carr, Montrell Hatton, uh, Taz Reddix, Thomas Collins, Kelsey Howard, Nico Taylor. So seven of them confirmed to be here, be here to start school the first second week of January. Um, again, I, I want to be careful. I think all these guys have an opportunity to, to contribute early, and even contributions, though, you know, special teams opportunities at their position. Uh, physically, again, I think, you know, guys that are closer, D linemen all got enough size. Isaiah Chisholm's physical enough and ready to go. Wouldn't shock me if one of these corners gets in the, at least the two deep by the, the fall. Um, Receiver-wise, I think all those guys – physically are ready to contribute, but we got some other guys in the room and you know how many wideouts we do play. Wouldn't shock me if we got a true freshman or two that are in the rotation by the fall. Uh, and Aiden's going to get opportunities starting in January. Okay, Nick. When, when do you, uh, when have you, you have not met with players yet. Have you, is that coming like when they get back right after January? Um, you know, we'll do some recap. No, I have not met with players. I mean, I, the last time I seen those guys, a lot of them were in that locker room after the game, which was awesome, a bunch of fun. Um, but majority, I say over half the roster left from, directly from Las Vegas back home to enjoy Christmas break here, which is well-deserved. So, no, we won't be getting face-to-face with guys until January. You, you have not lost many, many players to the portal yet. When you have these meetings, are, are you, you're anticipating losing a few ap- after you meet with players, are you? Um. Well, again, we met with all these guys before the bowl game uh, when we had that. There's a week after the duck game, and then we couldn't be on the road. So, uh, you know, anticipating this day and age in college football, yeah, I w- it wouldn't shock me that we'd lose a, a couple guys. Um, I do think we got a good thing going. Um, so I don't see a, a mass exodus out of here. All right, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Okay. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's Beavers head football coach Jonathan Smith, part two of his presser today. Uh, 
early signing day, lot of uh, commits. It's an exciting day if you're a fan of either of these programs, Oregon or Oregon State. And, uh, yeah, the Beavers, they get a prep quarterback. They get their biggest uh, defensive commit uh, out of high school ever. Of course, uh, Oregon landed a couple five stars. They uh, they flipped a four star uh, from LSU. A lot of great times for both of these programs. We'll go away, come back. On the other side, Oregon's offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, he flipped. He went to uh, be the head coach at Arizona State. We'll hear John's reaction to that coming up next. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn, this is the best of the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. I'm Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn. Oregon's offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, no surprise that he accepted the job at Arizona State. It was uh, pretty sudden, but we uh, we were not caught off guard by the news. Uh, in case you missed it, that uh, November 30th, uh, you can listen to JC's reaction to that news right now. Best of the BFT. Well, it used to be in college football that programs would hire a coach who had been inside their program, who was familiar with them had some familiarity. This was uh, not uncommon in uh, college athletics to see universities go with a known quantity. But right now what we're seeing is a lot of risk taking in college athletics. Maybe it's because there's so much upside that it's okay to risk a little downside, so to speak. And we've seen it now with, you know, Arizona State, Kenny Dillingham, relatively unproven young Head football coach, youngest head football coach in in uh, college football. 32 years old. No proof of performance for Kenny Dillingham. And Kenny Dillingham will take over Arizona State. Who's he going to bring? Who's he going to surround himself with? I took a little dive on sort of the risk-taking we're seeing in college athletics by athletic directors. And, and, and frankly, there's one going on right now because the news out there with with Deion Sanders confirming that Colorado offered him the job, not saying if he's taking it or not, which is pretty much not taking it when you do that. Uh, Deion Sanders coming out and, you know, is he a risk at Colorado? Is he a calculated risk? Uh, I think that's a risk I would take if I'm Rick George, the athletic director at Colorado. Pac-12 Conference could have a whole bunch of turnover, not just with the head coaches, but with some coordinator, key coordinator positions including an offensive coordinator position at Oregon, and uh, potentially Kenny Dillingham at Arizona State, who left the offensive coordinator job at Oregon, taking some coaches with him. I'll be curious to see who Dillingham brings with him and what kind of quarterback he will bring with him. Now, you're not alone. If you've been wondering, if you're kind of studying the landscape of the Pac-12 and Frankly, the landscape in college football, you're probably noticed that it is a quarterback-centric game and that quarterbacks, more than any other position, can uh, jump into the transfer portal, get themselves a name-image-likeness deal, and come out on the other side as you know a game-changer for a lot of programs. I think there was a week earlier this season in the Pac-12 that 10 of the 12 schools in the Pac-12 were starting transfers at quarterback. 
10 of 12 at one point. Oregon State sort of disrupted that by bringing Ben Gulbrinson in and letting him be there. He was a, uh, you know, a, uh, what do you call a homegrown quarterback? Is that what, <laughs> that what we'd call it? He was recruited by Jonathan Smith out of high school. But other than Dorian Thompson-Robinson at UCLA and Tanner McKee at Stanford, it was a lot of revolving door. Cal had a transfer. Utah had a transfer. Colorado started a transfer for a while. Oregon was playing Bo Nix. USC was playing Caleb Williams. Washington was playing Michael Penix Jr. And I think the, the quarterbacks that we're going to watch on Friday in the championship game, Cam Rising at Utah, transfer. Caleb Williams at USC, transfer. Uh, might not be the best two transfer quarterbacks in the conference. The best transfer might be Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. And so I'm curious uh, if you have tuned into this. Some of you had. I got a note from Nick Cody, the former Oregon offensive lineman, a couple other listeners, some other coaches around college football going, you know what, it's not just about hiring a coach anymore. It's about hiring a coach who happens to have a relationship with a talented quarterback. And you know, we used to see this manifest itself in ways in college football that were really interesting, like uh, a major college football program might give a talented quarterback's high school coach or seven-on-seven coach a job somewhere in the athletic department. Usually it wasn't as an assistant coach. It could be a support staff job. It could be some other job on campus. But it was seen as an inducement or enticement or recruiting advantage to bring somebody who had a relationship with that quarterback to your campus. Now the game has changed so much in college athletics. No longer is the recruiting coordinator just a part of your staff, that like a valuable member of your staff. The recruiting coordinator in a lot of cases – has been promoted to the offensive coordinator, has been promoted to the head coach, and we're seeing some younger faces that were normally reserved for the recruiting trail who are emerging as head coaches in college football. I thought about how much has changed. Mike Bellotti, Rich Brooks at Oregon, those were, those were coaches who kind of came up through the ranks, who valued continuity, who had assistants on their staff that, you know, Gary Campbell was on Oregon staff for like 32 years. Like, there was, a, there was continuity in that Oregon staff that was really unusual. Nick Aliotti, Steve Greatwood, uh, even uh, Jimmy Radcliffe, the strength and conditioning coach. There was, like, just this all this synergy and all this carryover from year to year. And now when we look at college athletics, what do we see? We see a revolving door. You see Kenny Dillingham, relatively unproven as a play caller, go to Oregon, have some success with Bo Nix, who he helped bring to Oregon, then bolt for Arizona State, and I'm now wondering, you know, are any of the current Oregon quarterbacks going to jump in the portal now and end up at Arizona State? Or is it going to be an Oregon recruit that flips and ends up at Arizona State? And I'm kind of wondering, like, if the future of hiring in college athletics is going to be especially tied to the quarterback position. Do you know a quarterback? Have you recruited a quarterback? Are you comfortable with a quarterback? Are you the offensive coordinator who called plays and had a lot of success with a quarterback? Well, all of a sudden, I think you are uniquely qualified to bring uh, that talent to a university. And hell, it, make no mistake, Mario Cristobal was 27 and 47 as a head coach before he went to Oregon. Oregon didn't hire Mario Cristobal because they went, you know what, that guy can really coach. They didn't say that. I'm told by insiders in the Oregon program 
that the calculus changed when Phil Knight decided that there was urgency around he wanted to win. He was 80, he's 84 years old now. He's getting up there. He has really pivoted towards recruiting and the emphasis in recruiting being important. And so, uh, you know, understandably so. We've always said it was the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's. But when you look at what is happening across college football, what you are seeing at the highest levels with millions of dollars involved is you are seeing universities like Arizona State who, you know, have traditionally been can we say underachievers in the Pac-12 or maybe good team, not great team, good program, not great. Like, you know, they've played 500 ball over the last decade or so, and it's been disappointing. And we're seeing that kind of operation pivot, hand the keys to Kenny Dillingham, who's, again, relatively unproven. And for crying out loud, his introductory news conference was uh, an amazing spectacle. I don't know if you saw it. I'm a, I'll play some of the audio from that introductory news conference. It was uh, it was phenomenal. I felt like I was watching Tony Robbins. Like you know, on one hand, I appreciate the fact that uh, Kenny Dillingham's excited about being the head football coach at Arizona State. I also am aware he's 32. He's young, as I mentioned. Uh, but I also am kind of wondering as I watched him do that introductory news conference, like for crying out loud, like. Is this an example of, uh, you know, like a Tony Robbins speech that is being given? Are those crocodile tears? Like, I didn't know what was going on with him. And, I, and I, maybe I'll let you just kind of make up your mind for yourself. Did you guys see this? The Kenny Dillingham introductory news conference. Like, from the moment he said hello, I was, I was dying. Because on one hand, it was evident that, you know, he, he is excited to have the job. But on the other hand, I was kind of looking at Kenny Dillingham going, does he realize he sounds pretty young as he's given this speech? I'm home. First thing I want to say is I want to thank Dr. Crow, Ray Anderson, Gene Boyd, Marcus Williams. I mean, this is literally home. Home. no emotion in football. <laughs> His wife's been at it all morning, so he had to catch up. So I say that because this place is special. The state is special. The people in this room are special. I got guys in my wedding right there. Pretty emotional, right? It's just who I am. The one thing you're going to get from me, okay? I am who I am. I am who I am. I'm going to be the same person every single day I show up to work. I'm going to be fired up to be here, fired up to be a Sun Devil. And this place, what this place needs to be successful, it's already been successful. We've seen it. The leadership from top to bottom is in line. That's why I'm here right now. The leadership from top to bottom is in line. We need this entire valley to come together. You want to win at the highest level. You want to maximize this place. We need everybody in this room. Positive things. Positive things. We need everybody in this room to get involved. If you don't know how to get involved, how do you get involved? This is one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the country. It's growing at a rapid rate. 
we need the valley behind us. We need the state behind us. We need butts in seats. We need everything that this valley has all in. Because I am all in. There's Kenny Dillingham I'm home. Uh, saying he's home. Uh, look, i got to be honest with you. There, there's part of me that goes, hey, I love the enthusiasm, but I hear a young coach there. And I kind of wonder if Kenny Dillingham would have been better off five years from now having this opportunity to go to his alma mater. I'm curious to see what he does. I think he's a really good play caller. That doesn't make him a CEO. It doesn't make him a head coach. That said, if I'm Arizona State, I hire the guy. Judy, you like the emotion. Kind of sounds like Herm. <laughs> 32, he's a you 32 play to coach. win the game. That's all I got. I am who I am. You know, I, <laughs> look on the on the face of it, it is cringeworthy, no doubt. Yeah. It's but cringy. It, it is does, cringy. It does not necessarily mean it's inauthentic either. Um, yeah. And I think that's a guy that slid into that seat with two things in mind. One, I really love being at Arizona State. I think that's a true sentiment that he has. I do think there was a secondary motive, and I think that motive was how do I win this press conference. And so he mm. took that emotion and he cranked it up to 11. Hell, he cranked it up to 15. But there was that motive there. He's like, I feel like I got to win this press conference. People are giving me a side eye for my age that I left the Civil War on a plane after losing a 31-10 lead. I think I'm, that was a mistake by him, by the way. I don't think he should have done that. I think I think that hurts him. I know he was eager to go get this job, but leaving right after the game, the way the game went, I think he would have been better off flying out on Sunday. I was, I was thinking about that as he's doing the speech. Like He's selling Michael Crow, his university president, uh, who is the biggest honk in the land down there, on the idea that, hey, we're going to get buy-in from everybody, and I'm going to get buy-in because I'm the local guy, and people like the local guys. Like, I, you know, I was in Fresno when Jerry Tarkanian came home. He was a Valley kid, and the whole, you know, half the reason why Fresno State took a flyer on Jerry Tarkanian late in his career was they wanted to build the Save Mart Center. And the Armenian community, the farmers in that Central Valley, they love Tark. Like, but can Kenny Dillingham at 32, will he resonate with the, uh, you know, the snow angels who are down there in Arizona who are getting, you know, who are all retirees? I don't know. I felt like I was listening to young Tony Robbins during that speech. Like it was, you know, but I also, look, I like Kenny Dillingham. I know him. I, you know, I've talked to him a few times this season. He told me that Arizona State was his dream job after the Cal game. He said, "Don't please don't put that out. I don't want Oregon fans to think, but, but that's my dream job if I ever got it. And, you know, and he said that in the news conference. Later he went on and he said, this is my dream job. So I think there was part of what he was doing that was authentic and emotional. But I also kind of wondered, like, is he showing his age up there? Like, this is a young guy showing his age. Uh, let's see how he, how he uh, marinates in the next few months at Arizona State. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn, this is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side for more great conversations. Leave it here. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Very brief segment here. Coming up, we've got a great final hour for you. Uh, top of hour number three, we're going to hear Dan Lanning's dad. If you missed that in August, 
It was fantastic. Again, Dan Lanning was named the new coach at Oregon. We were excited to get to know him. And what better way to get to know Dan Lanning, Stephen, than by reaching out and talking to his pops? Yeah, I mean, that's just a a relationship that no one else is going to have with him, right? I mean, you as a father, you know that. Me as a father, I know that. Like, you all have a different relationship with your son. And so it it was nice to hear and fun to hear uh, from that that angle because we knew the coaching, you know, the coaching pedigree that he had and how successful he was, but... Uh, to learn about his life as growing up was nice. Yeah, it was very, very cool. I enjoyed that conversation. Don't miss that coming up on the other side, especially if you missed it the first time around. After that, we're going to hear from Jaden Grant. This was at the end of November. Of course, we had Jaden Grant on weekly on this show. Always a great conversation. Brought to you by Jamba Juice. And uh, this is Jaden talking about what it was like to beat Oregon, overcoming hospitalization with that injury, to be able to play in that game. It was a great performance, capped off a great year for him. We'll bring that to you on the other side. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT Radio Network. You are going to want to leave it right here. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Welcome back in. Final hour of the bald-faced truth. It is a best-of edition. We've had some great conversations to give you uh, yesterday, today. It will continue Uh, I know we're looking at Bill Walton tomorrow. We've got some other great stuff that we're going to bring you. Uh, Of course, uh, John's immediate reaction uh, when USC and UCLA uh, were reported to be leaving the Pac-12. Mike Leach, Bill Moose, and a whole lot more. So you're going to want to make sure to catch the program every day from 3 to 6 p.m. So we are revisiting the best conversations of the year and even previously, as evidenced by our Franco Harris conversation from 2015 that uh, kicked off this program. Of course, Franco Harris passed away today, and that is going to be one of the topics that we're going to bring you on the five at five. The five at five. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at Swickert.com. Well, it is true. Franco Harris, the Hall of Fame running back whose heads-up thinking authored the Immaculate Reception, probably the most iconic play in NFL history. He has died at the age of 72. His son, Doc, told the AP that he died overnight. There's no cause of death given at this point. Now, his death comes just two days before the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. That's the play that provided the jolt that transformed the Pittsburgh Steelers from also Rans into NFL elite. And three days before the team scheduled to retire his number 32 during a ceremony at halftime in their game against the Raiders. Wow, timing. Harris ran for more than 12,000 yards. He won four Super Bowl rings with the Steelers in the 70s. That dynasty, like I said, began in earnest when Harris decided to, well, keep running during a last-second heave by Terry Bradshaw in a playoff game against Oakland in 1972. If you're not familiar with that play, I'm not going to rip into you. Just make sure you look that up. The scenario, the Steelers, they're trailing 7-6. to six. 
It's fourth and 10 from their own 40-yard line. There are 22 seconds left on the clock. Bradshaw drifts back. He scrambles just a little bit. It's not crazy pressure, but he's feeling the heat. He moves to his left. He comes or moves to his right, comes back left into the pocket, and he fires a deep ball to running back uh, John Fuqua. Fuqua and Oakland defensive back Jack Tatum, they collide, sends the ball careening back toward midfield, right in the direction of Harris. Everyone else on the field is stopped. Harris kept running, snags the ball just inches above the turf, right around the Oakland 45, outraces several stunned defenders, gives the Steelers their first playoff victory in the teams at that point for decade history. Rest in peace, Franco Harris. Second of your five at five signing day. And, uh, you know, just a couple days ago, we're talking about the disappointment of uh, Dante Moore flipping from Oregon to UCLA. Well, the staff reacted quickly, didn't they? They went ahead and flipped uh, the number 13 uh, pocket passing quarterback from Baylor, Austin Novosad. And that wasn't the only big commitment either. They also flipped five-star safety Peyton Bowen from Notre Dame. I know Oklahoma had been recruiting him. Uh, the Irish were able to keep him in that class, but Oregon swooped in and signed him for its first five-star in the class. In addition, they get a commitment from defensive end Matteo Uagalele, number 65 overall prospect. He chose Oregon over USC and Ohio State. USC sure could have used him. They also flipped Dalen Austin, four-star, from LSU, the Oregon Ducks, busy, busy. And even just during uh, this, I've seen they uh, they went ahead, they grabbed a four-star offensive lineman considering one of the best players in the portal, best at his position anyway. I haven't grabbed the details on that. I don't even know if it's uh, completely accurate, but uh, Oregon Ducks active. You don't want to lose uh, Dante Moore, but if you have to, this is a good way to rebound. Of course, DJ Uagalele, Matayo's brother, he's reportedly down to three schools. The quarterback is uh, choosing between Hawaii, Oregon, and Oregon State. A lot of activity. Third thing, you're five at five. Carlos Correa. We talked about this yesterday briefly, very briefly during the best of the BFT. We hit it pretty hard in my Portland only show, The Pulse. In a stunning turn of events, He's agreed to a 12-year, $315 million contract with the Mets. Now, if you're not familiar with this situation, the Giants, San Francisco Giants, they had a press conference all set to introduce him on a 13-year, $320 million deal. That was set. He had agreed to terms. I'm sorry, 13 years, $350 million. Tied Bryce Harper for the longest free agent deal in baseball history. He was going to be the new star for the Giants. Now, the deal fell apart yesterday regarding his physical. Scott Boris, his agent, told the New York Post it was a difference of opinion concerning his physical. The Mets swooped in, led by super aggressive owner Steve Cohen. He told the, the Post he negotiated that deal with Boris in Hawaii. So uh, not sure exactly what's going on there in the physical, but the Mets were fine with it. Now with Correa's new deal, 
The Mets have committed more than $800 million to free agents this season. You know, they grabbed Justin Verlander. They're uh, they're going. Their competitive balance tax payroll stands to be $384 million. The fourth and final threshold of the luxury tax, it's called the Steve Cohen tax, sits at $293 million for next season. The Mets could be in for a tax bill in the neighborhood of $100 million just next year. Fourth thing, and you're five at five. There are only two finals MVPs in NBA history not in the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame. One is Cedric Maxwell. He won it with the Celtics in 81. The other one, Trailblazers head coach Chauncey Billups. Well, Billups is on the list of nominees released this afternoon, along with 36 other players, coaches, and officials, and 10 women. It's his sixth nomination. He's made the list every year since he became eligible in 2017, but he's never received enough votes from the committee. Going to be honest, that is probably not going to change this year based on the number of first-time nominees who appear to be locks. Maybe you've heard of these guys. Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, Tony Parker, and Pau Gasol. Honestly, I do think Billups gets in eventually, but I think he's going to have to wait his turn. Ben Wallace eventually got in. Chauncey Billups likely going to get in too. Final thing, five at five. Trailblazers in a rematch of a brutal loss day before yesterday to the Oklahoma City Thunder, giving up a buzzer beater to Shea Gilgis Alexander at 35. Uh, Blazers looking for a little revenge in this game. Maybe they can play a little bit more free-flowing, but offense wasn't the problem. On a night that uh, Damian Lillard set the Trailblazers' all-time scoring record, passing Clyde Drexler, they weren't playing tight trying to get him the record. They were scoring points. They put up 121. The issue, they gave up 123. Now, Yusuf Nurkic did not go in that game. As I understand it, he will be playing tonight. That's going to help the defense. But ultimately, the Trailblazers, they got to get better. They got to lock down. They have got to win this game. That's your 5 at 5. We do it every day on this program. Let's go ahead and uh, toss it to part one. Dan Lanning's dad, Don Lanning, on the BFT. That was August 24th of this year. And we bring you that now on the best of the Bald Face Truth. I made a vow earlier this week that I would get back to writing about people and players and the games and divert for just a moment from all the conversation about expansion and the fate of the conference and all this nonsense. I needed this as much as you did. But I wrote yesterday and I wrote into the wee hours of this morning. I probably slept three hours last night. Because I was into writing this piece about Daniel Lanning. If you haven't read it, take a look at johnconzano.com. I'm not going to read it to you on air. But his father, Don, and his mother, Janice, were just fantastic telling stories about their son. In the rolling hills, in the piles of limestone, rural Missouri. Joining us now, Don Lanning, father of Daniel Lanning. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Give me an idea because you and I have a long conversation and Janice participates in the conversation. I ask a lot of questions that, you know, uh, I, I'm curious about. And then you get the experience of actually reading it afterwards. What is that experience like for you? 
Oh man, uh, the uh, the thing came in this morning when I was out uh, uh, on another at another obligation. I couldn't read it right away, but I knew it was there. And uh, oh, I tell you, I was chomping a bit to to get to see what you had written there. And uh, and I finally got a chance I could. I just pulled into a parking lot and read it off my phone. And I got to tell you, it was uh, very touching. Uh, and uh, 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 my my other Daniel's brother David uh, and I talked about it a little briefly after that. But it was uh, it was very touching. A dad's uh, pride, if that's the right word, his satisfaction with seeing his his sons achieve is pretty amazing. Yeah, I've got three daughters, and we're you know we're just getting started with that. Is there you know the youngest is still pretty young, but let's go back to Daniel Lanning, little Daniel as a kid. Like, did you did you think football coach when he was a kid, or what were you thinking career wise? Oh, I'll tell you, Don. For a long time, the possibilities seemed pretty limitless. Uh, Daniel was uh, uh, so he's the kind of person he still is to this day who's so focused on what has his attention and his uh his interest at a, at a particular time you could see him going any direction when he was when he was a kid his passions were uh varied and uh all the way from being he was he was quite uh, adept for his age at, at at drawing and artistry and painting and stuff like that uh and for a while we thought you know we got an artist on our hand here maybe uh uh it was uh and that was just it, just whatever, whatever, whatever really got him at the time. But the one consistent thing ever since a little boy has always been sports. I love that. We are talking to Don Lanning, yeah. father of Dan Lanning, the Oregon football coach. Uh, give us an idea. You know, you and your wife, both school teachers. Uh, you know, four decades uh, as a, a teacher. You know, you mainly in science and middle school science. Your wife. English and liberal arts and writing and reading and you know you've you've been around a lot of kids not just your own over yeah. the years. How did That's how right. did how, what what's life like when you have two teachers as parents and you got kids in the household and you know you, you know you, you, I always thought I got a break from school and I I wondered what's it like to be a teacher who's got kids. Well, uh I don't know the from the parenting uh, part of it, I don't know if it's any different than any other occupation. Uh, you know, uh, we when when Dan when Daniel was a young kid, uh, uh, even well, even all the way through high school, uh, Janice and I taught in a different community than we live in than the boys went to school in. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of crossing uh, that way. Uh, when uh, she and I both uh, moved down to teach in the community where we live. Uh, Daniel's already out of high school, but the other kids, uh, then, then we had, <laughs> then we really, it's small town. And so then we really had some connections <laughs> then we, they couldn't, they couldn't move that we didn't know about it. The, the funny part about it was, uh, when Daniel, by the time he got to high school, he and his brother both were like this. Uh, I didn't grow up in Richmond. Uh, we moved here when, uh, when you wrote about your story there, but we moved here when Daniel was three years old. Uh, so our boys essentially did grow up here in Richmond uh, but uh, by the time they got to high school, uh, all around town, I became known as, oh, yeah, you're, you're David's dad, right? Or you're Daniel's dad, right? I didn't have my own identity for a few years there. I was known as just whoever, whoever was the one that was out there right now. I, know, I was known as his dad. Yeah, Jordan's dad, whatever. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, you guys men- you mentioned the move. I wrote about it a little bit. But 
you know, the decision to move from the city, essentially, to the farm. Your in-laws had 300-plus acres, and, you know, you and your wife, I thought it was really interesting. You, you made a promise to the Lord. You made a promise to your kids. Can you, can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Well, yes, I can. We uh, have uh, committed raising our kids uh, in a godly way ever since they since they were born. I mean, that's always been our, our goal and our objective is to be godly parents and raise them to be godly men and women. And uh, they're not perfect, and neither are we, but uh, <clears throat> but they know the Lord, and uh, and we do too. And our commitment that uh, when the kids were little was to uh, uh, give them a stable home and a stable school environment uh there's one thing that you talked about earlier about the idea of parents of teachers and uh one thing that we had both seen many times in our career is that it it can be really traumatic sometimes for kids to have to uh, change schools and uh and sometimes that's not avoidable and 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 a good a good parent uh will be able to deal with that uh, but it's just hard, and uh, so we made a commitment, and we, we we made a vow to the Lord and to our boys, even though they didn't understand it, that we would make sure that they had the stable home with their mother and me, and that they would have a stable school environment by not being moved. Once they started kindergarten, they were going to be in the same schools until they graduated high school. I think it's that fantastic. Was, that, yeah. was, that was our pledge to the kids and, and to ourselves, too. Give me an idea, you know, because as I spoke to you, you know, I wrote about this as well, but I think you can expand on it a little more. You know, you guys didn't get to a lot of Kansas City Chiefs games, but Dan was a rabid Chiefs fan. What was that like to take he and his brother to an NFL game back in the day? Well, oh gosh, it was pretty exciting. And I tell you what, John, it's pretty exciting for me too, because I didn't go to very many of them either. And and they were they were my heroes from my boyhood times too. But uh, but uh, it was it was very exciting. The the, the kids, my, both of the boys that got to go with us, uh, I mean that day, were uh, it, it was just like they'd been down Main Street and Disneyland, plus uh, you know seeing the Grand Canyon, plus every other big high exciting thing you can do and see all happening that day out there at that stadium and in that parking lot and so forth. They really, they really were. Uh, uh, it was the ultimate at that time for them of just, just a, a great experience. Uh, they loved uh, the what was going on in the parking lot, the tailgating and, and the scene and all that stuff, and then, and then seeing their their heroes inside the stadium and seeing them up pretty close too was pretty exciting for them. Yeah, I looked up the box score from the game. Marcus Allen played in that game, and Brett Favre was in that game. Yeah. There were seventy nine thousand two hundred eighty one fans in the stadium. That must have felt like that's more people that you know were that lived in your county at the time. That would be about three times the population of our county. <laughs> so yeah, there's approximately twenty five thousand people in Ray County. So they, yeah, you're right. That would that would have been the most people that they'd ever seen in one place at one time, for sure. <laughs> they get close to the players that day. We uh, we were able to uh, when the, when we got in the state. Before before game time, players were going through their warm-ups and so forth. Uh, the seats that we had were in the lower bowl of the stadium, so uh, the boys asked me if there was any, it was okay for them to go down closer. So we walked down the aisle and just stood at the edge of the rail there by the field for you know a little while while the kids while the guys were warming up and so forth. Uh, and uh, you mentioned Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen walked right in front of the kids. 
and they were just like their 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 jaws were just hanging slack. They got to see Marcus Allen that close. <laughs> it was pretty exciting. That's Dan Lanning's co- uh, dad, Don Lanning. Of course, the Ducks coach had a big day today. That's how deep we get on this show. Uh, what are we going to get? His mailman, his babysitter, his, uh, the bank teller at the bank he goes to. Uh, we go right to the source and get you deep. Now, of course, we have another segment of that conversation from August 24th with uh, Dan Lanning's father, Don. We'll bring that to you on the other side. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BF. Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. I am Peter Sampson. He's Stephen Vaughn been a great show so far again i want to let you know tomorrow if you dare bill walton and uh what's the over under steven on how many segments we're going to cut up a bill walton uh conversation into is that four segments i i bet we'll pare it down and maybe give you the best two segments but if you left it unedited and made them full radio segments what's the over under three yeah, it's got to be three and a half, three right? And a half. Like, what would you do? Go over, under? I mean, I think we'll get it at two. Like you said, we can edit out some of the stuff. But uh, yeah, if you go full unedited, it's got to be at least three. I'd say pushing four. That's my guess. So you're not going to want to miss that. I love Bill Walton on this show. It's always a uh, wild time. Uh, also coming tomorrow, we all know USC, UCLA bolting for the Big Ten. And uh, when that went down, man, seemingly out of left field, that was a crazy couple days here at this station. Uh, We're going to play back John's initial reaction to that. That was one of the busiest shows I can possibly remember. And we have big shows, big, huge shows, you know, a huge trade in the NBA or when Paul Allen passed away, when Dan Lanning gets hired, when Mario Cristobal leaves, all that stuff. But that news was as hopping as I can remember in addition to the BFT. So we'll give you a taste of that as well. But for now, let's go ahead and bring you part two of Dan Lanning's father, Don, joining the BFT August 24th of this year on the best of the bald face truth. We are visiting with Dan Lanning's father. It's Don Lanning who's joining us from Missouri today uh, on this radio program. Uh, your kid is, uh, you know, he's moved around. What has it been like for you and your wife to kind of watch him make the progression from playing at William Jewell to being a graduate assistant and coaching on that Alabama staff and Memphis and Sam Houston State? And, uh, you know, I, I, I gather he didn't unpack his suitcase very often. Well, I'll tell you what, as far as what it was like, John, and what it still is like, uh, is that uh, uh, we have recognized uh, through most of his life that he had the potential to be successful at whatever he focused on, whatever his passion was. And when he uh, decided he wanted to be a, uh, in, in football coaching, uh, there was never any doubt in his mother and my minds that, uh, that he would achieve a pretty, pretty on high level. Uh, now, i got to tell you, uh, come pretty fast <laughs> and and I, I i don't know that i expected it to come quite so quickly but but i knew he would be successful at, at it and uh, and he had to start at the ground and work his way up and, and he's done that and and 
he will continue to do that. He, I, I expect him to be wildly successful going forward too at Oregon, and and uh, we're going to see some really great stuff there. I'm sure. Yeah, and, and you know, you've mentioned that you and your wife were public school teachers. You know, and I want I you know I come from a family of teachers, and I know we have a lot of teachers who listen to the show, and I want to give a shout out to all the teachers who are out there investing in kids in the in the community and building pe- building young people man it's it's the the greatest commodity and the greatest asset that any any community has is is the young people uh often teachers are not compensated i i think in a way that that the rest of us think is uh they should be compensated you're watching football coaches nick saban got 94 million dollars yesterday dan lanning's on a six-year deal almost 30 million dollars is does that make your head spin a little bit Oh, uh, you know, that's not something I think about very much, to tell you the truth. Uh, you know, we've, Janice and I, uh, as you said, as public school teachers, uh, we, we never, we didn't get into that for money and we didn't make a ton of money, but, but the Lord always provided for us with, with what we needed. And we, we've been able to raise our kids and live in a comfortable lifestyle and do some other good things in this world too. So we're, I just don't even think very much about that. I really don't. Yeah, and I and I think it was interesting too because I I don't think your kid does either. Like I don't think he is motivated by money. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I would agree with you completely. He is not is not his primary motivation. He he like you and I understands uh, perfectly well that he has to provide for a family, but uh, and, and so there's some need for income there. But as far as as far as uh, being motivated by getting every uh, you know, scraping and running after every buck that's out there. That's not him at all. We're talking to Don Lanning, who is in Missouri. It's father of Oregon Ducks football coach Dan Lanning. Don, it's 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 going to be, I think, a surreal experience to see your kid as a head coach. That's your kid out there. In the same way that, you know, when he had that role in the senior class play and he was playing the doctor in Little Shop of Horrors and, you know, he was singing and part of a musical, it must have had that same feeling. Hey, that's my kid out there. Uh Oh, very much so. I'll tell you, uh, when he started uh, coaching uh, at Pittsburgh as a GA, uh, we learned, I had to learn to uh, relearn how to watch football games on television Hmm. because, uh, you know, you get in the habit of watching the plays and then you can kind of relax during the interval between the plays. But we found out real quickly that if he's ever going to show up on account on the, on the television screen, as a, as an assistant coach or as a GA, it's going to be when they're doing a sideline shot during plays. So we learned we had to really concentrate and focus on between the plays, and we were going to take a little break. It had to be when the play was going on. So completely reversed the way the way we watched the game on television. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It was it was uh, it's, it's been quite an experience to see him uh, go where he's gone and what he's done. And, and also as part of that, his mother and I have been places, literally been physically been to places and things that we never would have dreamed we would ever go to. You know, I've been to two national championship games and I, I, I can't imagine I would ever have done that otherwise. Um, my first, the first time I was ever at a, a power five uh, conference football game was when uh, I went with him to Mizzou when he was in high school, and Mizzou invited high school kids down that they were thinking about recruiting. You know, uh, it's, it's been it's just been quite the experience. Been to a lot of cool places, and and in May we got to see the facility there at Oregon, and got to see the stadium and uh, so forth. Very very excited to go out there now and see it full of people and see a game going on out there. 
Yeah, what you think of the facilities? Because you probably had visited Georgia, maybe Alabama, and some other places uh, that he worked. How did the Oregon facilities stack up? Well, to my eye, uh, which is, you know, not, not a real a highly polished eye at that, but to my eye, they stacked up just fine. I think Oregon's facilities are, are quite, are quite excellent. As a matter of fact, uh, I, uh, now, now the physical size of the stadium, uh, doesn't quite match up with, uh, uh Alabama and Georgia where they're putting a hundred thousand people in there, you know, but, uh, but, the, but the layout of it and the, uh, uh, just the quality that I could see the facility was just uh, just really excellent, and and I can't wait to to see it full and see a game. Give us an idea, you know. Before I cut you loose, you know, coaches are going to deal with adversity. You know, nothing is perfect. We know that uh, there's going to be adversity in this season. You've been around your kid. Uh, what gives you confidence that that Daniel Lanning can can deal with some adversity? What gives me confidence is, is having seen him deal with it in the past and know that his response always is get up off the ground, figure out what went wrong, fix it, and do it again. Uh, I know that he will, uh, he will power through stuff like that. Uh, you know, uh, I, I expect him to be tremendously successful, but you're right. There will be, inevitably, there will be disappointments at some point in time. Uh, but I know he will he will handle those in a just a great way because he always has. Yeah, I, I think you know you you've done a fantastic job parenting. I said this in the piece, and I and I'll say it again. And it's not just with with Dan. It's you know you've got other kids in the family. The entire family unit has to be incredibly proud of where he is. And I I thought it was really interesting when I talked to you about the other kids like David and Jordan. Uh, you know, you said, hey, look, all of our kids have been successful. And I think you know. There's there's a parenting book out there for parents who have raised kids who are high-profile kids who have been successful. And maybe there's some young parent listening to this now, Don. What advice do you give to somebody who's got a newborn baby in their lap? Uh, what advice do I give a parent with a newborn baby? Uh, first of all, I guess I would say uh, uh, pray and, and, and give, give that baby's uh, future to the Lord. And, and and love them like crazy and always support them, always pick them up when they're down. Uh, you know, um, I'm not saying that I'm perfect at this, but uh, but between Daniel's mother and me, uh, I doubt that we ever missed. One or the other of us was at every single event that any of our kids were in, and, and that was pretty exhausting sometimes, especially when you got three or four of them in advance all at the same time in different places. But uh, we never missed anything when they were kids, and they always knew that mom and dad were going to be there physically as well as uh, for emotional support. And, uh, you know, you do the very best you can with that. Don Lanning, I appreciate your time. Thank you for letting us get to know your kid and your family a little bit, and I will catch you down the road. I know you're coming out to Oregon to see some games, and I will track you down and say hello. But thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. Well, thanks, Don. We'd love to meet you when we get out there, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. That was Dan Lanning's father, Don Lanning, two-part conversation there. Great stuff. Yeah, let, let's get him out here, man. Let's get him back on the show uh, in person. That, just fantastic stuff. And you can, you can tell that's a, that's a great parent that raised his son right.
No, definitely. He, you know, he has that voice of just, you know, that old farmer, you know, country yeah. guy. Like, you know that, you know what he kind of looks like. You can tell, and mm-hmm. he just sounds like a great old guy. So yeah, I, I, get him out of here. Let's go. I'm imagining him wearing some overalls right yeah. there, or if not overalls, in some Carhartts. That's how my dad does it. All right, we'll go away. Come back on the other side. More of the best of the bald face truth. Jaden Grant. He had an amazing year, amazing career. Oregon State cap uh, and uh, cap this year, uh, beating Oregon, overcoming serious injury, hospitalization to play in that game. He appeared on the Bald Face Truth just over three weeks ago. We bring that to you next. It's the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the best of the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. We're visiting some of the greatest conversations we've had this year. And even years prior, we started it off Franco Harris in 2015. Of course, Harris passed away today at the age of 72. But now we go to Corvallis. Uh, Jaden Grant, Oregon State Beavers. Uh, Of course, they beat Oregon this year. He overcame an injury that re- required to stay in the hospital to play in that game. So now let's hear from Jaden Grant this conversation November 30th of this year. Our next guest uh, won a football game over the weekend. Jaden Grant, defensive back, Oregon State, was the tackler on fourth down and one as Bo Nix from Oregon uh, tried to keep it. Jaden Grant was not fooled. Uh, he's a, He's been in college for about 15, 16 years. He's got like six degrees. You're not going to fool this guy on fourth down and one. He's joining us now. Uh, let me let's take let's go through that play, okay? Because uh, yeah. I watched it unfold and I said you didn't look fooled at all. Um, you see it on film. You anticipate it. What's your read there? Well, I mean, they're trying to. It was. I, I knew they were short on that, um, that that running back that made a catch on that third down. So I know it's going to be a, a fourth and short situation. So by the time I looked over for the call. They're already getting ready to almost go, so they knew their call, which means you know tempo fourth and one got to have a situation. Got to have a situation. They're going to run a DNA play, you know, their bread and butter, something that you know usually would be a win for us to hold them to a yard, but for them in this situation, it's a win for them. And for them, that was the inside zone read. And so um, I was actually supposed to be you know a post player, like way 15 yards back, but um, the moment I saw it was tempo, I just told the nickel in the corner, just man it up. And uh, I just had a feeling that, that they were going to run it, and I had a feeling they were going to pull it because there wouldn't have been anybody there. How good does that feel when you make that tackle, you hear the roar? Man, it just felt good because you could feel the momentum shift, you know, in that moment, you know, giving us great field position to go in, at least tie the game up. I think we were down three at that point, you know, early in the fourth quarter. So I was just happy to be able to make that make that play for our offense and uh, put them in good position. And obviously um, we all know how they capitalized. The uh, this game, you know, it's it's a rivalry, but you've been full circle. I mean, this is a program that went two and ten in Jonathan Smith's first year. You've seen some dark times. What is it? What does it feel like to be nine and three and to look around and maybe your regrets are now like, hey, you know, you let one get away against USC, or you know, could have won at Washington. It you you're a contender. How does that feel for you? Man, it's, it's bittersweet. Because, you know, we know we're a few plays away of doing something that's never been done here. Uh, or at least that's the belief in, in, in our, within our program. So it's a bittersweet feeling. I think that, um, you know, we're definitely happy with the with the win. We know how much it means, you know, not only for us guys, but, you know, the fan base, the whole entire program, you know, kind of where 
how our how our program is seen now, you know, with the national TV game. And we didn't have much of those this year either. So um, we just knew it was a big win for the program. But obviously, you know, you always you always reflect and think about the what ifs and or the bad plays, like we always talk about. Never, you know, never what you got done or the good stuff. Yeah, you dwell on the uh, you dwell on the stuff you could have done better. Uh, you guys made some adjustments. Trent Bray, your defensive coordinator, was on the show yesterday. He talked about adjustments that you guys made in the third quarter. What happened with you guys as a defense when you're down 21? It 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 looked like schematically you changed some things, but there may have just been uh, you know just a decision to to stop getting in your own way. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's kind of. I don't think we really changed too much up. Um, we did tweak a, a couple of things here and there, but I mean, overall, I think it's just like, you know, it's, it's a long game and, it, and you may, if you look at the scoreboard, you'll get discouraged and you won't, you know, you won't really remember that you have almost 30 full minutes left of play time, you know, to go out there and get your goal accomplished, which is always to win. Um, so for me, the biggest message for me was me personally and the message I echoed to the team was, you know, I'm going to give you guys all I have to the, to the clock hit double zero and, you know, we just all give each other everything we have. You know, we may look up and be in a completely different situation by the time this game is over, and uh, that's exactly what happened. Was there a moment where you just kind of felt the the momentum shift in the game? Is it that noticeable when you're playing, or do you? Uh, is it just play to play as you're out there? Yeah, I would say once we went down 21, um, offense responded great. The very first play, Damian breaking that run, um, and then you know a few more runs after that, and punched it in. And then once it was a 14 point game, it was like, okay, we got this. You know, we got this. this. This is our game. And I think so. I think that was the moment when, when Damian broke off that run. Um, just giving defense a little bit of a spark, um, I think that was really the moment. And then I guess that fourth that fourth down was another big one too. Yeah, let's go to the, to the stand at the end. They have the ball. You know, they're threatening to erase the comeback and break your hearts at the end. Defensively, uh, you know, what does that feel like to you guys? They were really putting pressure on you. They were going to throw the ball. They were coming after you guys. Uh, but it, it had to be fun, and it also looked like you had you were prepared for that moment. Yeah, there was, there was zero panic, you know, from our side defensively. Um, you know, our mantra all year has just always been make them snap it again, make them snap it again. Whatever they were going to choose to do, whether they were going to choose to go for it or kick the field or whatever Whatever the decisions were, we were just going to make them snap it again. And um, I think you saw that. I think that, you know, we were really poised for being in that situation, how big of a moment it was. I think we kind of – you kind of get more, you know, nervous or whatever looking back on it. Like, oh, dang, that was the situation. You know, that time in the game, like, I was, I was a big stand there on the goal line, nonetheless. Um, but, like, shout out to all the guys up front and all those backers. I mean, they tried to get in that 14 ol personnel and run it twice and, and stuffed them and really gave us a chance, you know, on the back end to be able to make those plays. You get your offense was running the ball. Everyone in the stadium knew you were running the ball. Fifteen straight runs in the fourth quarter, average seven yards a carry. As a defensive player, are you so locked into what you have to do that you're not noticing that, or are you kind of taking a peek at the scoreboard, looking out on the field, and going, "Gosh, we're just carving them up"? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you. I, I didn't know the statistic until after the game. Um, I didn't really pay attention to that, but I, like I said, after that, after Damian's long run, I, I could see us driving on them, um, you know, running it and kind of wearing them down. You know how I'm used to seeing our, our run game wear them down. So, um, that, like I said, I think in that trans, trans, transition to a spark on defense, like yeah, we got to get the ball, 
into these guys' hands as fast as we possibly can, you know, every time we go back out there. And we, we got the stops when we needed to, so it was big. You know, big old big team ever overall. It, you know, it's it's it was fun to watch. It was fun to see the the crowd react to it. Uh, I, you know, I think you guys, you know, the, the the perception afterwards. A lot of people said, "Hey, Oregon blew it." It, but but I I think Oregon State won that game. Like you, you know, you, yeah, you had to beat sure. them twenty one to three in the fourth quarter. And you know, I think it would be a disservice. Now, Jonathan Smith uh, is getting some love nationally. People saying what a good coach he is. How important is it for Oregon State to hang on to that guy, Jaden? Um, it's very important for Oregon State to hold on to everybody, you know, in the program. And, um, yeah, Coach Smith, the things that he's done, the culture that he's built, uh, the type of person he is, uh, fits perfectly with Corvallis. I don't think that there's a better fit for Corvallis. So, like I said, you know, times, the times it is now, it's important that Oregon State keeps everybody. Bowl game. Um, you know, a lot of times you see players who don't play in a bowl game. i got to think Jaden Grant will play in this bowl game. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, just a lot of stuff that, you know, I got to get figured out right now. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I had to get figured out to even be able to play in the game um, that nobody even knows about. So just going to take it day by day. Yeah. All right. How much of that can you talk about? Because I know you were banged up, and I know prior to going into the game, you know, I wanted to respect your privacy, but you were out there on the field. I was really impressed that you made it there and that you played that whole game. Um, how much do you want to talk about what you went through to get there? I mean, I, I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to talk about it. I just, I didn't want it. I didn't want it to be known before the game because I didn't want any, you know, attention or anybody, you know, feeling bad for me or, you know, anybody to have any excuses for me or had something went wrong, you know, out there. But, um, I mean, now I think I'm pretty comfortable talking about it. All right. So what, what was the injury, and how long were you in the hospital after the, the game before the Oregon game? So it's kind of a freak injury, um, freak injury where I took a, I took a hit to my, my kidney and um, basically had some drainage and some leakage from popping a Kaylee. So um, got the scans and stuff. Everything was negative for the ribs. Went, went to the hospital, um, got the CT scan, had to stay overnight. And just, you know, it was some different diagnoses. But ended up getting, after that cow game, I think I got surgery like three days later. Or no, I got surgery that same night to drain my kidney. And then I got another surgery three days later to repair what was damaged. Um, and just by the grace of God and obviously the good doctors, uh, Dr. Long here, the urologist in Corvallis, uh, who was one of the best, um, by the grace of God and him. I was able to come back and, and actually practice the whole week, you know, seven days out of the second surgery and, and play ten days, you know, after the whole thing, which was just crazy to me because, you know, that, that night during the Cal game, I, I was thinking it was all over. So it was a really quick turnaround. There's a lot of hectic stuff going around, but, you know, like I said, I was just blessed to be able to, to be out there and, and be able to contribute to my team. How many days were you in the hospital? Uh, only one, one day I stayed a night there and, and got released, uh, probably like 18 hours. Wow. So you, you have the kidney issues. You have a surgery to drain the kidney. You have a second procedure. Uh, how many days before the Oregon game was the second procedure? Um, 10. Okay. 10 so days. 10 days, 10 days before the Oregon game, you have the second procedure. Then you play in, you play in the game. Um, and you know, I know that wasn't out there, but you weren't missing that game, were you? 
No, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't going to miss that game if you know if if I was cleared and told that I was you know safe to play, which they did give me that uh, clearance. So at that point, you know, it was there. Usually, I think it was like a two to three week recovery from what I had, and obviously I didn't have that time. So they're like, as long as you're cleared, it's just going to be a, a pain and discomfort thing, which it definitely was. <laughs> but um, like I said, uh, you know, it was all worth it. I was just really fortunate to be able to even have the opportunity to be out there with my teammates. That's phenomenal. I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal to think about you going through that, getting out on the field. I know the game got a little chippy. I saw, you know, a couple guys wrestling around after the play. Um, you know, I, it was obvious it meant something to you guys. It meant something to Oregon. Um, you know, I, I really keep us posted on what's going on with you. I think a lot of listeners have gotten to know you over the last couple seasons, having you on the show regularly during the season and, feel connected in some way to uh, what's going on in the field and uh, really phenomenal to, to see you guys uh, pull that game out and to now know the story of two surgeries and uh, 10 days before the, uh, before the game, just uh, remarkable. Um, congratulations, man. Yeah. Thank you. Like I said, you know, the power of God is real. The power of prayer is real. So um, I'm just thankful and I'm blessed. Jaden Grant, wish you the best. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me. That's Jaden Grant on November 30th, speaking with John Canzano. This is the best of the bald-faced truth. We'll be back in a minute right here on the BFT Radio Network. You're listening to the best of the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back into the best of the bald face truth. Peter Sampson, Stephen Vaughn. Another great show today. If you missed any of it, grab the podcast. We heard from Jonathan Smith and Dan Lanning today, this morning on National Early Signing Day. Big days for both of those programs. Uh, we played an interview from uh, Franco Harris back from 2015. Uh, Franco Harris did pass away today. We heard from Dan Lanning's father, Don Lanning, that conversation in August. And just on the other side of this segment, uh, John spoke with Jaden Grant at the end of November talking about beating Oregon uh, in the rivalry game. Coming up tomorrow, Bill Walton, John's immediate Pac-12 USC-UCLA reaction. Of course, the announcement they were going to the Big Ten stunned everybody in the area. Uh, Mike Leach, Bill Moose, and a whole lot more. If you're uh, across the footprint of this show, I appreciate you listening to the program If you're in Portland specifically, you're going to want to leave it right here because in just about two minutes, I'm kicking off the Pulse here on Flagship Station 750, the game. Uh, I know Steve and Eugene was up in the Portland area yesterday. He got the Pulse. He enjoyed it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you. Uh, I'll be talking NBA basketball, early signing day, and a whole lot more in just about 90 seconds. You're going to want to leave it here. But this has been the best of the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.